This week on Waxing the Porpoise, G-Baby and the usual suspect Steve welcome special guest, friend of the show, and Zaxby's enthusiast, The Nate Name, aka Thawne from the Ghoulish University podcast to discuss the verdict and aftermath of the Alex Murdaugh trial. Join us as we attempt to separate belief from certainty as guided by the evidence. Unlike the jury, question mark. Take a look at the evidence that was and wasn't presented to the jury to decide, did the state meet their burden, and learn the difference between voir dire and Bauhaus. Strap in and get your tums ready for a discussion that might ruffle some feathers because one of the hosts may end up on the rushmore of unpopular opinions. Let's wax this low country porpoise. face ah lemon face mm. all right all right welcome to waxing the porpoise we are back again episode 51 now and we are doing a, a little uh review of the alex murdoch case part two just kind of talking about the aftermath of the case now that it's over and that a, a, a guilty verdict has been submitted uh, so probably gonna just gonna free ball it again uh and We'll see where it takes us. Um, this evening, as always, you got myself, Jim G. Baby. Call this game fair. I'll go to the papers. <laughs> <laughs> I was inspired by our guest because you had mentioned that, and that's one line. That was like one of the deep cuts from Remember the Titans that's not at the top. It's not at the tip of my tongue. But when I think back at it, it's like, dude. He's taking that S for a fucking ride, man. What is <laughs> that? Was a good pull. Uh, and uh, as always, to my virtual right, we have the usual suspect, Steve. I remember when you bought me this antique silver frame from Tiffany's. <laughs> Tiffany's. Gosh, fifty work down from ten. How's it going, man? I've had better. <laughs> going good. And as I alluded to just now, uh, we have a special guest joining us this evening. Uh, you may know him as Thon from Ghoulish University, the podcast that covers the uh, Tales from the Crypt episodes that we've uh, had the good fortune of joining them a couple times on now. Uh, without further ado, Thon, a.k.a. Nate, the Nate Neen. Zaxby's indescribably good. I'm Herschel Walker. I'm a football player. <laughs> you gotta what? give me Herschel Walker though. Come I know, on. I know that's got a stain on it. But you had just mentioned Zaxby's, and I was struggling for something oh, cool, Zaxby's. and I caught that, and I was just like the ending. It's like that's what that's what you're going with. I'm Herschel Walker. I'm a football player, and just hard cut. I don't know, I got a knee jerk chuckle. So. Also, what the fuck is Zaxby's? I've never heard of that, man. It's a, it's a fast food chicken joint. All right. They got chicken strips. They got salad. Their fries are phenomenal. They got are that good seasoning with, all with over. Zaxby's, them. Steve? Um, I've never been to one, but I've just, maybe I've seen some through my travels or just seen commercials for them. I mean, I, I just know they do chicken. I wasn't even aware of Chick-fil-A until pretty Ooh, recently. Yum. I always heard like you know the Chick Fil A bowl. I was like, like I don't know what that. And they had yeah. one 
or a couple down in like the Sacramento or California. It's pretty, it's like a desert. But then you start moving past the Mississippi and that shit's like, it's like you'd live under a rock. Yeah. I, I guess. That's um, good stuff. Yeah, you were the one that clued me and you're like, you know how they marinate the chicken, the pickle juice? Yeah. They have powdered sugar in the uh, batter <laughs> as well, I believe. They put sugar in your tank. They put sh- <laughs> Why do you have sugar in your back seat, Mr. McCracken? The colonel puts an addictive chemical in this chicken that makes you crave <laughs> fortnightly smart ass. <laughs> dude, fuck yeah. That was a good poll. Have you ever dude, have you ever seen have uh so I married an axe murderer, Steve, with Mike Myers? I think I'm I I must have watched it, but it it was so long ago I really have no memory of it at all. Oh, such a good movie. Yeah, that is a really good one. Um all right, so uh, yeah, so we're here. We're talking Murdoch or Murdoch or Murdoch, however the yeah. fuck you want to say. Yeah, it. I'm gonna say go it. out right now and say I'm calling him Alex Murdoch. Okay, okay that's it. Cool. I think you're <laughs> I on know. Team Porpoise because that's the way I first heard it. That's the way it looks when it's on paper. It's the way it should be read. So. I don't know how you have 46 different pronunciations <laughs> of a name yeah. with four letters. That's a common name. <laughs> I don't see where the C comes in or the anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's or really the real Southern is Ellick. Like there's an E and a C <laughs> like <laughs> phonetics just mean nothing to these people. Huh? Okay. Mm. Um, so it's been what, two, three weeks now, I, I suppose from the final guilty verdict. Yeah. And that sounds about right. As we Steve, record, can you remind me of the, like the timeline, like how long it overran or what the total was? It a six week, eight week trial? Yes, it was supposed to be a three week trial. Once they were allowed to bring in the prior bad act financial crime stuff, uh, it extended it to a sweet six weeks. Okay, and, and they the jury deliberated for like forty five minutes. Well, they came back after three hours, but in subsequent interviews, they said they only deliberated for about forty five minutes, which. You know, if you're going to go over six weeks worth of testimony and evidence, I could see that only taking about 45 minutes. <laughs> That's sarcasm. Oh, they knew. <laughs> uh, I know we know Steve has kind of followed this pretty closely, um, and I've, I'm kind of on the periphery outside looking in. I still didn't watch the goddamn – I wanted to watch the Netflix documentary before this, but my main uh, intro is like, everything laid out in the HBO documentary, which I'm sure is far less sensationalized than the Netflix Plus the movie. riveting episode we covered previously. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did learn a lot in that in that uh, episode as well. But what's your uh, exposure to this, Nate? Like, have you been following it prior before it kind of blow up, blew up in the being as this cultural thing, this hot button thing, or did you catch it like as it was going into the trial and did you follow the trial pretty closely or? Yeah. Um, I wish I could say that I was on this before it was cool, but no, I'm definitely a, I'm definitely a bandwagon jumper on this one. Uh, no, I heard about it late. Um, saw the Netflix documentary first and then saw you guys had an episode to listen to you guys on it. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was just hooked. As soon as I started watching the Netflix thing, I was hooked into it. And then since then, listen to your episode, watch the HBO doc, watch a, a Dateline on it, mm-hmm. watch a 20 for 20 on it, or Damn. 2020 on it, um, watch the trial, 
got into the, a lot of the trial stuff um, to hear testimony and things like that. So as someone who's seen both the, the HBO and the Netflix doc, which one did you like better or did you and or did you think uh, presented it uh, best? I guess. Yeah, the the Netflix I think was definitely more sensationalized and definitely swayed more to leading you to believe he was straight up guilty. Mm-hmm. That's and, what I've heard, uh, and all that kind of stuff. The HBO one was a lot of, um, I mean, it's a lot of the similar kind of stories and and some some similar footage and things like that, but it was a lot more just kind of here's. The timeline and here's what happened and and that kind of right. thing. I, I, I feel wasn't um, I didn't feel like it was biased or anything in any way. Um, or like leading you down a certain path or yeah, outright making claims. Yeah, they took the David Polites approach. Missing four one one. Shout out. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, have you since seen uh, any any of the background stuff? Any of the docs? on either netflix or hbo or anywhere else steve or you've just no. been mainly kind of like wherever you're getting your news and watching the actual case the trial develop well i'd seen i'd seen either like a 48 hours or a dateline or something a while back before watching okay. the trial but then once the trial started uh that was the only thing i watched i watched every minute of it except for some of the jury selection at the beginning because that was boring as shit and they didn't they didn't show anything the camera was just facing the seal on the wall the whole time oh nice but yeah yeah once the uh, once uh the trial actually started i watched every minute of it and uh if i would try to watch news coverage of it it would just be wrong or so biased one way or the other that it just it's unwatchable for me and and then i started so you, to hear you tried to keep it in the like a vacuum of just like you're watching the case and then your inputs are you know you digesting what you what you saw and heard basically. i wanted to watch it from the position of a juror, right? Because that's what matters okay. to the trial. Um, and the Netflix doc, I believe, was originally scheduled to be released after week three or week four, because I think that's when they thought the trial was going to be over. So it actually got released while the trial was still going. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not saying that any of the jurors like went and watched it or anything, but it was mentioned by one of the prosecutors during the trial. And I, I did... The, the conspiracy antenna in my mind was like oh i wonder if they're mentioning that hoping that they'll go home and watch it even though they're not supposed to but right. yeah that was kind of the the understanding that i had that it was pretty um damning as far as his guilt the netflix doc but yeah i might one day go back and watch it but definitely had my fill of Murdoch for a while but it'll be good to talk to you guys about it because everyone in my life is sick of hearing me talk about it so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I think on the previous Murdoch episode that we did, we kind of danced around that idea, like that notion of, uh, um, especially this day and age, everything's even, it just amps up year over year, but where we're at now with technology and like speed of information and things like that, and then these documentaries coming out from like heavy hitters during the trial, and like, I mean, the HBO one I thought was super comprehensive and pretty damning too, just like done in a more professional way that was released in november 2022 i didn't know about it till later but uh i mean that was out there it sounds like 2020 and dateline did some stuff uh also but it just seems like that kind of stuff normally comes like after you know like way after something's been you know except with the exception of your casey anthony type shit like really uh and like uh what's that other gal that killed 
her boyfriend that you have the hots for jo- also. Uh, I wouldn't say I have the hots for her, Jody Arias. Yeah, Jody Arias, yeah. Um, <laughs> so you completely are in love with her. <laughs> yeah. Got I it. think that's strong, but I think he's been on the record as being down Just to... because I said I found her mailing address and I was considering writing her in jail. <laughs> well, she's also uh, a mutual friend of ours is friends with her brother. So there's like a we we're, we practically know each other cuz she grew up <laughs> in a similar region of Northern California. That so you're in Home, hometown hometown kid done bad but yeah that and the Casey Anthony uh, you're on record as saying they can get it so um, very attractive ladies yes what of it <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah I, I thought it was weird and I, I think I asked the question it's like if you were gonna sequester a jury it's like wouldn't be the wouldn't this the fucking one you'd do it for and and right out of the gate yeah like I, it doesn't seem I, I don't know if I'm missing something, but like why I don't I don't understand why that wouldn't have just been enacted. Has there been I any think, mention or people talk about like why didn't they do this? Or I think it would just be too hard for them to find people who are willing to like be separated from their families and their phones and all electronics for yeah I guess six that's weeks. Like this day and age. So I think they try to walk a tightrope. Like please, please don't discuss this with your family. Of course, they all are going home and talking about it with their family and friends and. I don't know why they didn't change the venue for this trial because it's such a small area. Like they all have preconceived notions. I mean, one of the things that really bugged me about this that we found out afterwards was uh, juror number five thirty, the kid who only got on the trial the, or on the jury the very last day because a lady got kicked off because she was talking to everyone about the trial. The kid who got put on the very last day is number five thirty. Um, his brother is one of the local uh, either sheriffs or sled officers, the second guy on the scene, the second guy who testified in the trial, and they didn't kick him off the jury. So, yeah, I thought that was horseshit. That's a great point, though, because I, I was I was trying to figure out, like, how is that in the same town? How is the trial happening? How did that not get moved to, you know, the northern part of South Carolina yeah, or something like the far western? Because yeah, doesn't yeah. that area, too— like he had a reputation, Murdoch did in five counties, which is even more particular about this case too, because you know normally you have a DA or you know that works for the county, and it's one county. So this is five counties, even too. So that reach and that name is even farther out. So, yeah, that's yeah. Odd. And I mean, I I liked for the most part his defense attorneys. I liked uh, a couple more than others, but I think they did make a few pretty pretty egregious errors um and one of which was one not dismissing that juror for cause um and also not pushing harder for a change of venue they i I heard them interviewed later and they were talking about like we ran focus groups in nearby counties and they had also kind of heard of it it's like okay then go further away go farther (laughs) yeah yeah i'd be curious to see like what like the limitations is like like the level of case yeah that's a good that's a good point and yeah, like how far how can far? you go? Is it 100 mm-hmm. miles? Is it 150? And if it's like different states, does it have to be like a Supreme, I don't even know, a fucking Ninth Circuit Court case or something? I, I don't know how all that works. Um, but yeah, that'd be interesting. I guess, uh, where should we start with both of your opinions? Like what you thought of the guilty verdict and get just get that out of the way and then kind of go from there? Or Let's start with Nate. Um Okay. Because then when I when I talk, I'm gonna kind of go back 
not to the beginning of the trial or anything, but going back to the lens through which I'm looking at stuff and then sort of bringing it up to where we are now. I'm going to try not to make it like a lecture or a soapbox, but yeah, I just want to like set the stage for the way I was thinking about stuff. I but, have some flashbacks. You start at the beginning and then we yeah. flash back to the end. Yeah. And then periodically flashing back and forth. Yeah. And then sort of take you through my thought process and how I reached my conclusion and uh, why I'm looking forward to being the most hated person on this podcast <laughs> in about 10 or 15 minutes. So. <laughs> well, if you're going to start at the beginning, I'm going to start at the end. I think he did it. <laughs> uh, my uh, shots fired. Yeah. No, that's just my personal opinion after seeing all this, seeing the yeah. testimonies, seeing everything. All, but all, all what opinions I, are welcome here. What I will say is, though, as much as I said, I think he's guilty, I think he's going to be guilty, I, or, or I don't know if I said he was going to be guilty, but um, I did agree that both sides did a shitty job, the defense in defending him and the prosecution for not... Um, proving other possible scenarios like not yeah. you know not valid um i think that's, they what, both we, did that's what we call reasonable doubt by the way and, and that's and that's <laughs> what i was that's what i was getting to was i wouldn't have been surprised if they found him not guilty for those reasons yeah um so i was a little bit i actually was a little bit surprised that they that they did find him guilty because i thought both sides did do a shitty job yeah and i don't think the prosecution did enough yeah so you uh, think it would be it would have been more likely there would have been a hung jury or a not guilty verdict based on that? Uh, either way, probably more likely a hung jury. Um, but yeah, really, kind of either way, I wouldn't have been too surprised on it. Um, Steve, I would. Does that sound amenable to you? Well, I mean, I, I would agree that anytime you're trying to predict an outcome of a jury trial, you, you're just sort of wasting your time because you don't know anything about these people or what they're what is coming through to them what they're talking to outside you don't know if they're going to follow the law or if they're going to be following their emotion or in this case uh the the three jurors that went on good morning america or whatever the next day were talking about how they were just they were following god and what god was telling them to do which if i'm a criminal defendant that is the last thing i want to hear it's like please just be guided by the evidence not your god um i have no problem (laughs) with anybody who's religious in any way whatsoever, but um, yes, in this case, your job, your charge, is to follow the law, and it's not, not the stakes aren't law. low, the stakes aren't low, this is somebody's, the rest of their entire life is in your hands, so if, I, I, if, I found that to be kind of, a, kind of a frightening thing for them to say. I mean, I'll say, if you're that religious, you probably shouldn't be on a jury, because your whole thing is like, you're not supposed to judge people, let God judge people, so, like... If they should, they should dismiss themselves at that point, really. But that's just whatever. Uh. <laughs> Fair. Uh, sorry for cutting in on your uh, your intro here, Nate. C- please continue. Oh, no problem. Um, my whole thing, I, I think, um, and and just speaking to evidence or whatever, my my perception would be, I think he's been around a, a lot, and he knows a lot. Uh, as far as being an attorney, um, I think he would have known enough to make it look like he was not alone or it was more than one person type of thing. I think he would know enough to kind of make it shady enough where, okay, it's two people. There had to have been two people there. At least have that scenario up there because he knows, as we talked about, 
okay, the scenarios out there, they can't, you know, they can't make it seem unlikely or whatever, or they can't prove that false, then I get off or whatever, you know, that type of thing. So right. I think he knew enough to do that. Um, I also think he would know enough to not lie, no matter the situation. So when they come and they ask him what he's doing there, what happened that night, all that kind of stuff, don't lie and don't keep lying. He knows enough not to do that. And he can say all the stuff about his um, addiction, drug problems, things like that. He didn't want to get caught. He said he had drugs on him. He didn't want to get caught with it. So he lied and then he had to keep lying. Mm -hmm. He knows even if he has the drugs on him, he knows enough as an attorney to know it's better for me to tell the absolute truth now if I get busted for the drugs, it's going to be easier to get off the, for the drugs than it is for the murder. Right. So he knows all that. So, but he kept, but instead he kept lying. He kept, he said he kept lying, kept lying, kept lying. And then he, now he tells the truth on the stand. Right. Like that, that's a problem. Yeah. I did, of the few snippets I saw, I did, I did see that when he took the stand, some parts and he, they talked about, you know, like, well, why'd you keep lying? Or he's like, and then he's like, the tangled weave we web, you know, or the web we weave. And, <laughs> yeah. And, and he starts going on and just, and then I lied and I lied and I had to keep lying. And yeah, really dug himself a hole. That's for sure. <clears throat> and as an attorney like that, with that experience, he would know not to do that. <laughs> like, well, I, I guess something this big in the heat of the moment, like it's even going to fray, you know, you know, his, his threads, like, trying to react in something like that crazy that's happening. But yeah, you would think that maybe like it would, it would have been best if you were planning this out to not lie, and, you know, keep everything on the up and up, but the things that he can manipulate on the periphery and plant, be able to like surgically plant that seed mm -hmm. that would sprout into these reasonable doubts that that would have been uh, the way he, he would have gone had he, had that frame of mind but right i don't want the, to sound like i'm advocating like this is how you get away with it like this is what he should have done that, that and that, yeah that's that's what i mean he also yeah um the other the other thing um about the like the verdict and the whole situation like it's if he would have been found not guilty straight off of this he's still going to jail forever for the all the financial stuff like it's, yeah <laughs> yeah i thought that might uh assuage the jury a little bit more if they felt like well they didn't prove it but we don't want don't want to let this guy just walk away scot-free i thought that could influence their decision like well he's going to fucking jail for the rest of his life anyway so yeah who gives a we may as well follow what we're supposed to do so um yeah keep going and then let me know when you want to let the dogs out <laughs> um yeah i think the i think I, uh g baby i think you said the jury deliberating or whatever. I think when the one of the jurors said that they went when they went back there, I think it was uh, nine. Nine of them were for it for guilty already. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and then and then someone else flipped pretty quickly, and then it was just one that they had to talk into or whatever. Yeah, I heard it was nine guilty, two not guilty, and one undecided. Okay, so they got flipped all the all three got flipped pretty quickly though. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, and if you hear what the what our friend James, Mister Juror Five Thirty, said was his example of information that flipped him, that's also concerning to me as well because one of the things he's referring to is uh, horseshit. So, 
Is that the uh, the thing where... I'll let you get into it, or else I'm just going to fuck it. Is that the thing that uh, I'm not going to remember? One thing before you start, Steve, I have a real problem, especially after hearing what I heard today, catching up on the case about his claimed drug addiction. Uh-huh. Can I throw out my opinion about that sure. real quick, or should it, would that flow, I think, better after you've no. given your two Throw cents? it out, and, and uh, I'll see if it if it's in my sort of <laughs> list of greatest hits that we're going to run through. Okay. So right off the bat, when I heard this, all that go down, I was like, that's complete bullshit. Like right out of the gate. I was like, this is, and I'm sure not, it's not a novel idea, but uh, yeah, right out, right out of the gate. I was like, that's crap. He's just using that as like another thing to kind of distract or possibly give him sympathy or buy him time. Or it's just a tool that he's using. Um, Cause like all the pictures, like the stuff with his family, like, and then, but the real, the thing that broke the straw that broke the camel's back is when he, he fucking like doubled down on the amount he was taking. Yeah. Did you hear that? Thousand milligrams a day. Yeah. That's a hundred Norco tens. It's like, you're not doing, and then he was on the stand. He fucking doubled down. He's like, the prosecutor was like, that's like 60 60, 70 pills a day. And he's like, oh, and t- I, t- I take yeah. more than that. It, yeah. He said he was over, you. he said he was Go over 2000. I mean, Dude. 20 years. Um, I've, I've heard about drug addicts who take that much. I thought you were going to no, no, say no. you just simply didn't believe him because you were going to go the more conspiratorial route, like where you think that money was actually going. Cause yeah, at one point he said he was spending 50,000 a week and I'm like, that's a shit ton of money. Or yeah, he's shielding that from something even worse that he doesn't want to disclose. So it's like, okay, I'm just, I'll just wear this like a sweater with uh, yeah. opiates. Yeah, I no, was. I was thinking, no, a hundred pills a day. Yeah, that would kill you. No, not if you build your tolerance up over twenty years. Really? I mean, you know, you know the comedian Bobby Lee. Yeah, he he was doing opiates for I a long time. I know he said he was taking. I I've heard that. I think it was something crazy though. It was like thirty. No, he was up to like eighty a day. Like like five milligram or ten milligram. I don't know exactly. Hydros. But, uh, yeah, the stuff that like Murdoch said he was taking is like the what, strongest of the strong. He said he was, he was taking like oxy forties, and he was taking up to like twenty five hundred milligrams a day. Dude, that, I don't know, man. Even yeah. twenty years, like and, I, I, that's and, nuts. For, yeah, for yeah, but also for that whole time, nobody knows about it. Like yeah, nobody gets a sense of knowing about this. Yeah, yeah. So more, more than the fact that I think that that would just put him down like a donkey. Yes. Like, how are you keeping up with that? It's like you're entire like that many. You're not yeah. getting that prescribed unless you have like the best doctor in the world. But oh, even no. this day and age too, like the DEA, the DEA be all over their ass, especially in the last five or ten years. But uh, yeah, well, yeah how he, was, you- he was buying it from his buddy and he was paying in a check. <laughs> You'd have to spend all your time is procuring and just like a vicious cycle. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to hold down a fucking job and go on all these trips and like this and that. So I, mean, I don't his, know. That just brother, really bothered me. His brother, one of his brothers, did testify that uh, when shit was hitting the fan and they were they were finally driving him to detox for the whatever umpteenth time he said he's done detox. He said he shit his pants in the car on the way down and was like <laughs> pouring sweat like. Yeah, that, I mean, that sounds like pretty serious withdrawals. He, if, I, if not, he's going full method acting, and he is committing to the part. Seriously. He uh, he doubled down on that, too. He, he wanted to make sure everyone knew it was yeah. in his pants. Well, yeah, because he said something funny, too. He's like, 
he he masked he he shit or he said something to where it was like <laughs> he, he masked himself. He ma- yeah, and then he's like in his in his, in his pants, like in the that, car. That, like, oh my god, that's what it was. That's how he doubled down. He said, "Yeah, he messed himself." And then there was like a little pause, and he goes, "And by messed himself, I mean he shit his pants <laughs> yeah. himself in his pants in his yeah. pants <laughs> by myself, one pillow." Uh, um, yeah, I. I Fuck, I just lost my I mean, that is so, so much money, it's hard to fathom. Like, where, I mean, but then you stack up all the money that he was like, funneling and taking from all that stuff. It's like, yeah, I, I mean, I could see that. But the other thing, too, my last point about the drugs is that kind of withdrawal, I feel like would kill you. Like, well, yeah, you would have to said, be on a planned, like, <laughs> cut well, he down. Said, like, he said when, when you go to detox, they wean you off it there. So uh, oh, yeah, because okay. otherwise you would you would just die. He would vaporize. He would collapse in on himself. Yeah, you'd probably just go into cardiac arrest. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's my spiel on the drugs. I was like, this is total. This is a beard for something else. Like, and I feel, I feel is, like that could have been shot down. That could have been. Well, that's something that that the prosecution could have tore apart easily. I, I think it was. I think that was all of to like like you said to buy time. I think he was doing that thinking. I'm going to go in here. I'm going to go to the rehab. And by the time I get out, it'll all blow over and I'll be fine. I'll go back to being a Murdoch. Yeah. Well, That's they drug, true, I guess. They drug if, tested him when he got to detox as well. And he did test positive for opiates. Um, right. That's fine. He could have like a small stash or maybe he, he could have been like just a casual addict for 20 years, but he's wow. not taking like the exorbitant, like the, the shit that he's pushing it on. And, you know, I mean, the fact too, that like, yeah, if you did get tested and you had it and you said you wanted to go to treatment, I mean, that kind of starts in motion, like, uh, the wheels of justice and like, you know, they like to buy time, like that they would have to intake him and, and all these things that would have to be like procedure just would only help him, uh, string that out. And it wouldn't. It would well, be yeah. a certain period of time before they could like try to call bullshit on it. You know, like. Well, but the problem is when he finally admitted to the opiate addiction. That was when it was like the the house is already on fire. There's no at this right. point. It had gone too far. This was this was well after the murder. At this point, it was like there's no more hiding anything at all. Right. So yeah, I mean, if yeah, so I don't know. You want me to just. Started. Yeah, on, go for it. That was getting, just one. That was make, one bone about getting this everybody to, uh, to hate me more than they already do. <laughs> don't do that. No, it's fine. Yeah. I don't care. I enjoy it. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess the first thing I want to say is um, I think there's this idea that he's either guilty or innocent. Where in reality, there's a third option, which is not guilty. So did he do it? I don't know. Maybe is it possible? Sure, it's possible. Um, that doesn't satisfy the state's burden of beyond a reasonable doubt. I would never claim that this man is for sure innocent, that he did not do the crime, but that's also not what's at stake here or at, at issue here. Uh, every, every criminal defendant has the presumption of innocence That's what, that we've talked about before. So the second he walks into the courtroom, all the jurors need to think, this guy is innocent and I need to be convinced fully that he's guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. So it's like a seesaw on one side. It needs to go all the way to the other side um, for you to be moved from your position. So, uh, and and the verbiage of reasonable doubt from the South Carolina jury instruction is, it's the kind of doubt that would cause a reasonable person to hesitate to act, right? So it's, it's tough to sort of quantify, like we've tried in the past, a percentage, like, are you, 
is it 85, 90% sure, or are you 95% sure? The, there's also further wording that talks about uh, the, type, the type of doubt that would cause a reasonable person to hesitate to act. So if you think about, if you were to take a new job and you're thinking, well, you know, I like the new job, but the pay is not great, but the benefits are good. Like, okay, yeah, you're, you're hesitating. You're thinking about it. If you're taking the, if you're offered a job and you're like, I don't really like the parking situation. Like, okay, that's, that's a doubt you have, but it's not actually causing you to hesitate. It's meaningless, right? It's, it's, it's a doubt, but it doesn't really matter in your head. Or like if you're buying a house, you know, um, you know, the roof looks kind of shitty. We might need to replace it. Like, uh, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to need to think about this for a minute. Or if it's like, I don't like the color of the drapes, right? That's something that could give you pause, but it's irrelevant. It doesn't, it's immaterial to the actual decision making, right? It's, it's so minute that it doesn't even matter. And so the reasonable doubt needs to be something like it needs to, uh, to overcome it. Go to the inspection. There's a black, there's black mold. Sure. Yeah. And, And that would, that would blow it out. That wouldn't even be a close call, but to overcome reasonable doubt, it needs to be based on certainty, not belief. Like, I believe that he did it. Great. That doesn't get you to, I'm certain he didn't do it. And the, the, the analogy I try to use when I talk to people about it is like, if you had $100,000 in the bank right now, and I said, how much of that are you willing to bet that he's guilty? If I said, are you willing to bet 95000 of that money that he for sure did it? If you had to pause, like, ooh, I don't know, that's a lot of money, and that's my money, you know, if that's if that's causing you um, some hesitance, then that that kind of illustrates that you are you are has you know you're thinking about it, like you're not exactly 100% sure. Or another dumb example I was thinking of, like if I showed you a clear box and I was like, put your hand in there, there's nothing in it that can hurt you. You're like, well, yeah, no shit, I can see it, like I'll put my hand in there. But if I had a clear box and then I covered it up with a blanket and was like, put your hand in there, there's nothing in it that's going to hurt you. You're like, well, I'm pretty sure that there's nothing in there because I just saw you cover it up. So you're like, yeah, I'll put it in there. But if I turned around and th- and then pulled a box out with a sheet over it, like, go ahead, put your hand in there. There's nothing in it that's going to hurt you. And you, you hear like a rattle. You're like, uh, I'm not sure, even though I didn't see anything right. like, you know, you're it's going to give you pause. So if. If you're, you're holding David the box, Blaine. are you how high up are you holding the box in front of me? There's a table in front of me that you can't see below my waist. So you're holding it waist level? Yes. I'm not reaching in a box that you're holding in front of you waist level. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, sir. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> burn me once. Never again. <laughs> okay, I'm so getting ten dollars for it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well that's pretty inflation. It's gotta be at least fifteen by now. Okay, so I'm not going to harp on this for too much longer, but I'm just kind of well, setting the stage. So I can make you sound a little bit smarter. I was thinking of the difference between like when you think you might shart or if it's just a fart. Yeah. But that's a lot more feel. There's not really – that doesn't involve a yeah. lot of <laughs> – that's, that's like history and feel, knowing your own body and more of a vibe. Going so. back through what you've eaten and is it is it more or less likely? You know? spicy. Sure. Uh, okay, so you might be thinking, you know, that's a very, very high threshold that is almost impossible to get to. Well, the reason it's so high is because the thing that we're supposed to value more than anything in our society is individual personal liberty, right? So um, if you're going to take that away from somebody, you better be damn sure that they're guilty, you know, because we've talked about in the past, 
some quote that I keep misattributing to the wrong person about it's better to let a hundred people, a hundred guilty people go free than one innocent person to be put behind bars because, because personal individual liberty is supposed to be, supposed to be the most important thing. Um, and so going into the trial in, in every single instance where there's a dispute of some kind, the defendant should be given the benefit of the doubt when you're weighing the evidence. So whether it, like it, let's say some, they, uh, the prosecutor lies to the grand jury, you're supposed to look at it, not well, I mean, it could have been a mistake. They could have been meaning, well, you need to look at it in the light most beneficial to the defendant. Like, oh, this is a, they're, they're, they're railroading him. Or if there's lost evidence, it's not like, well, that's an honest mistake. Stuff happens. Like, well, yeah, that's true, but you need to look at it in the light most beneficial to the defendant to prevent these innocent people from just getting caught in the machine. And to be fair, mm-hmm. most people that find themselves in the machine are guilty. That's just the way it works. Like, most mm-hmm. of the time, the prosecutor's not going to bring a case that could be a loser for them because they like their stats. You know, they like having these 95% plus conviction rates. It gets a little tricky when there's a lot of social pressure to bring a case that they might not feel as strongly about. So then, then that's when you start to see these little uh, legal maneuverings and tricks, which we have, we have a couple of in this case that are fun. Um, So another instance where you're supposed to give your benefit of the doubt to the defendant is, if the state's telling you a story and the defense is telling you a story and you're like, well, yeah, I mean, both of those seem somewhat reasonable to me. It's your, it's your duty to give the benefit of the doubt to the defendant to prevent them from getting chewed up by this machine. So just circling back around every, every fact and dispute or issue that comes up from the juror's point of view, they need to be looking at the defendant as he's guilty until and unless they can satisfy that burden. And if so, great. If they, there, there were a lot of pieces of evidence in this trial where if they had been slightly different, I would have said like, yeah, even just one of those things could have convinced me beyond a reasonable doubt that he did it. If there's, if there's no other plausible alternative hypothesis other than guilt. So we can get into those in a little bit, but if, if the state presented a piece of evidence and it's like, there is no possible way there's an explanation for this other than he did it. But unfortunately I didn't see any of that. Every, every piece of evidence I saw, there was um, a plausible alternate alternative hypothesis consistent with innocence. Some of them make less sense than others. um, But I mean, it doesn't take much to just create some reasonable doubt. So um, before we get into the trial itself, I, I think a lot of people don't realize how common wrongful convictions are. And I was, I was just reading this about Florida not too long ago and get a load of this shit. So, uh, Florida death penalty cases. Uh, I don't know how unique it is to Florida or all other States, but if you're char- if you're charging somebody with a capital crime, a death penalty case down in Florida, obviously all 12 jurors need to be unanimous that it's guilty. But then for the sentencing phase, it goes back to the same jury and all 12 of them have to agree on the death penalty. And it has to be unanimous and they don't wait till it's unanimous one way or another. They take a vote. And if there's one lady that's like, I'm Catholic, I don't believe in the death penalty. Sorry. Now he gets life. You know, it's all 12 have to agree for the death penalty. So you would think that would filter only the worst of the worst criminals and the Mm -hmm. most obvious crimes and their guilt therein. Right. So since, uh, I think it was, I think it was 1976 or 1979, Florida has executed a hundred death row inmates in that same time frame. They've had 30 death row inmates exonerated. Damn. Yeah. So imagine, 
that batting from average. From 79 to the present? Or yeah. 76, 79 to the present? Yeah. They've had 100 executions and 30 exonerations. And what do you want to bet? That number should be higher. So, oh, and also, not to keep anybody up at night, but Florida currently has 300 people on death row. So if it's that same uh, ratio, that's yeah, like it doesn't bode well. You're looking at like 100? 100 of them, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, people find themselves stuck in this machine right and i mean it it happens so that's that's why you have to be so careful you the the royal you mm. when you're when you're going into these trials and this this is one of the biggest missteps i think the defense made was from the very beginning they need to be hammering in that standard to the jury like hey this is how high the burden is they brought it up on closing but by then it's six weeks later they've already made up their mind most mm. people make up their mind on like a like a preponderance standard, like what, which of these two scenarios is more likely a or B? Well, I think it's B like, okay, but that's not the correct framework. They should be looking at it through. So that was a huge misstep by the defense. And I think the reason why they did it is because they knew they knew going into this case, instead of having the state have the burden of overcoming whatever they felt like they had to prove Alex innocent, which is, it's not the way it should be, but we don't live in should land, as I'm, as, as I like to say, because they knew that, you know, it, they had a tough case ahead of them for sure. So they spent so much time just trying to prove him innocent. And I think, I think, um, his main defense attorney that Harpoodlian, he even said in his opening statement, something about him being innocent. And I'm like, Ooh, that's the wrong word to use because now you're, you're shifting the burden to you instead of the state. So now it's like, we're going to show you he didn't do this. It's like, no. They have to prove it to you, and we are going to show you all the areas that are right for reasonable doubt. So, um, if sand and, if hands and butts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a merry Christmas. Yeah. So uh, the first the first thing I want to mention, and it's something that Nate keyed in on too, and it's it was one of the state's themes that is interesting if you look at it in the big picture. Um, the idea that you know, as a lawyer, he would have all this intrinsic knowledge that would help him sort of get away with this uh, essentially perfect crime if he had if he had been acquitted for it my issue with that is when when we find out about his suicide attempt later on it was absolutely the most piss poor attempt to get away with anything so yeah. it, it's it's tough for me to reconcile those two things they also kept switching back and forth between was the murder of his wife and son this uh extraordinarily planned perfect crime or was it like a spur of the moment he panicked and he just had to do like okay those those two things don't really jive but to to sort of skip ahead to skip back the suicide attempt this was when his world actually was falling down he had lost Mm -hmm. his source of income which up until then that had been his saving grace like he had found himself in all sort of financial trouble time in time out but as long as he had that steady income coming in he was fine because he could he could pay off the guy at the bank who later got uh, charged and convicted of wire fraud. He could pay money back to his law firm that they all knew everybody was borrowing money from and just shuffling back and forth. But once he lost his license and got fired, then he's like, okay, now I'm actually screwed. So instead of, I don't know, killing his only remaining son, that's when he decided the plot to have this guy kill him so his son could get the insurance money. But the plan for this suicide was, hey, guy that I buy my drugs from, will you kill me? And, uh, I'll, I'll just drive down the road. I'm going to pull over. I have a run flat tire on my car. I'm going to stab it with a tiny knife, 
throw it in the field like 30 feet this way and then stand there. You're going to show up, shoot me, whatever. Uh, but make sure your truck gets caught on all of these cameras coming to and from the crime scene. Uh, make sure your truck is very unique looking and give them about 15 minutes of a head start and then they'll figure out who you are. They'll find all the checks I've written to you. And I mean, the case blew up in about zero seconds to quote our friend Jared. Um, so if you compare that to this seemingly perfect double execution of his wife and son, it, it just, it, it rings a little flat to me. Um, and it's also, I feel like it's an explanation for all of this reasonable doubt that you're seeing all over this case. This was all planned, you know? And so when we get more into the nitty gritty of, well, if he was a, a real mastermind, there were things that he could have done better. Not, not to, like Jim said, give people ideas about how to commit a better murder, but <laughs> it, it's tough to say, oh yeah, he took all of this stuff into account, but huh, all of these other weird little details that also don't make sense. He didn't take those into account. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really think we need to besmirch sled and the investigation more than it needs to be. Um, I mean, obviously it was a shitty investigation. The, the crime scene contamination was just abysmal from the beginning. They had guys walking all over the place and really the way it's supposed to work is like if Jim and I respond, respond to a crime scene, you tape it off only one guy in and out at a time. And you wear like protective coverings on your feet. If you don't, you log who was in, who came out, what kind of shoes they were wearing, so that later, if you have to eliminate people's DNA or footprints or whatever, you've got your ledger, right? But in this case, there's people just traipsing all over the crime scene. There was footprints that were on top of footprints that they, there was endless arguing about of whose footprints were whose and which came first, and it was... It was ridiculous. How does that happen in this day and age when it's like you're going, they're going up to a call knowing it's a double homicide? Yeah. It's just sloppy. Knowing that. I mean, sloppy. It's just it's sloppy. Like, how does that, is it just like the region? Like this oh, is a smaller. You know it's a great question because. Because like, I feel like even in a backwater hamlet kind of situation, which I don't think this quite is, but it's not like a, a metro fucking area, but, uh, and not that they're without their faults, but. Right. It just seems like this day and age, like that's that's like one of the things we're past, you know. Like like a doctor, you wash your hands before you perform perform surgery, you know. Like yeah. something as basic, foundational as that. Well, it's a good question, and it leads me to my next topic. And I meant to do that. If it, if at any point either one of you want to jump in, go for it. I don't want you to feel like I'm just steamrolling everything right now, but. Um, <laughs> No, so, I mean, it, it becomes it becomes pretty obvious early on that all law enforcement is looking right at Alex from the very beginning. They literally released a, a press release either late that night or the next morning that said, I don't have it verbatim in front of me, but it was like, public, no need to worry. You know, there's, there's no danger to the public. And then they released a new one a couple hours later because they're like, hey, um, this makes it pretty clear that we know who it was and we aren't looking at anybody else. So they, they released a new one later that did not include that. Hey, the public has nothing to worry about. Cause it's like, <laughs> what do you mean? The public has nothing to worry about. You don't know who did it. And the, we have these two people executed at their home. So, um, yeah. yeah. So, so it's pretty clear that he was, he was the guy from the beginning. And it, I mean, it makes sense if you're talking about, this is going to be the first guy we investigate, right? He lives there. He's the one. No, we are not relations. So. 
they're related. Um, he lives there. He was there. Um, you know, he's the one who discovered them. So it makes sense. Like, okay, let's hone in on him, but to not really expand it, then it becomes a problem. So there were, there were a couple other small issues with the crime scene. Like when they, when they discovered Maggie's phone the next morning, they never put it in one of these special bags that cuts off the signal and preserves the data on the phone, which is not a huge deal. But when they when they examined Paul's phone, they had all his GPS data from that day because his phone died like that night at 10 something. So all of his data saved her phone. They put it in airplane mode, but it was still pinging off certain location services. So they didn't have her GPS data from the same time frame, which would have been immensely helpful. And it's because they just were like, I'm going to put it in airplane mode and and just put it in the thing. So um, that's another that's another example of like, well, okay. I mean, you have to sort of infer that whatever was on that phone is helpful to Alex, not the state, because they're the ones who screwed it up. And some places have a specific jury instruction where they call it spoliation of evidence, where if if the state has like a, a surveillance video of an armed robbery and you're accused of it, but it clearly shows somebody else, and then they lose the video, it's like, well, shit, that was supposed to help me, and you just happened to lose it because... It helps. It helps you to lose it. That that jury instruction basically tells you, like, hey, if there was evidence that was lost or contaminated or whatever, um, you are able to infer that it would have been helpful to the defendant in this case without even knowing what it was or looking at it yourself. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't know if they got that in jury instruction because I just kind of sped through the jury instructions because yeah, that's important. To note, that's important to note too because, like, if that that kind of uh, check weren't in place, then if you were a prosecution team, you'd be empowered or emboldened to lose evidence pretty totally. fucking frequently. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and yeah, there was a lot of step data evidence in this case, which I don't give a lot of credence to, even though the state found it very convenient when there was a time frame where Alex was walking a lot. They're like, that's pretty suspicious. But then other times where... Maggie's phone and Alex's phone never moved together at the same time. They're like, this data is not very reliable. You know, we can't really, uh, we can't really put too much stock in it. It's like, okay, well, which is which it? Is so it? I'm yeah. fine to throw out both because it, it seems to be irrelevant. And especially on a property where they had multiple states witnesses who were like, yeah, the, the service, the cell phone service down at the kennels was dog shit. If you did get it, it was spotty. And you know, so it's, it's not unusual that they either wouldn't be on their phone or data would come through disjointed because the signal's weak, whatever. So one of my biggest issues with this entire prosecution case, and really the defense's lack of hammering this guy's ass, is the forensic toolmark examiner who examined the shell casings on the scene and and <laughs> determined that these shell casings found at the scene were consistent with other shell casings they found at the house having been loaded and ejected from the same gun. Um, that's horseshit. It's the opposite of science. If you look, there are, I think there's 13 states currently where they're in uh, either at certain levels of the appellate courts where they're trying to just get this tool mark analysis bullshit disallowed. Because, and if, and if you listen to the guy's testimony, not only does he refer to what he does as an art, which is not a science, because you could look at two <laughs> shell casings they could be from two separate 
fired guns, but have similar striations and markings and like the, the tolerances at these machine manufacturing facilities is so tight that you can't say this, this shell casing came from this gun for sure. All you can say is it's consistent with having been cycled through this gun. And if you go back and listen to his testimony, they didn't, they didn't hammer him as hard as they should have, but he never says for sure that this shell casing matches this shell casing and they came from the same gun. He just says that to a certain degree of scientific uh, certainty, it's my opinion that these two are consistent with having been, you know, it's all of this word salad that I thought, I thought they were going to get up there and like pound his ass into oblivion, but it was kind of disjointed. They tried to get him to say, you know, you're not sure you're, you can't say for sure. And I mean, he said what they wanted him to say, but it didn't, it didn't come across as very damning. And then, yeah. So yeah. if you're a Joe Blow juror and you hear this guy's an expert on tool mark analysis yeah. and he sa- and he says something like, like that, as flowery as it's my scientific and based on this, it's my opinion that it was consistent. I mean, if I'm sitting back and don't know fuck all about this, it's like, oh, that sounds pretty, pretty articulate. You know, that sounds, I'm going to go with the expert. Yeah, well, in the state, so, yeah, that's, to, that's a case where the defense should have like it seems pretty ripe to yeah. jump on, especially when uh, those. Uh, well, it's such a it's a it's a huge piece of evidence because the the logical extension is oh this gun came from the house. Why would somebody come in from outside with a gun from outside the house? Like that's pretty damning yeah. if if you don't if you ignore the truth of what was testified to. And the state kept referring to the murder weapons as these are family guns. These are, you know, these, these guns were on the property. They're family guns, not, not rooted in evidence or fact at all, but they just were arguing it. Um, and I would have liked to see the defense bring in an expert to counteract it, to really send the message home. Because one of the jurors, our friend James, Mr. 530, he mentioned that when they were deliberating that uh, a couple of the holdouts were talking about not understanding the shell casing evidence. And so he was telling, I don't know, Kathy Lee or whoever on Good Morning America, oh, we just had to explain to them, they weren't saying that, um, shit, what did he say? It was like, oh no, they weren't matching the casings to the gun because we don't have the gun. They were matching the casings to the other casings, so it was a family gun. It's like, that's not true at all. But yeah, I imagine that would be pretty compelling to somebody who doesn't doesn't know um so yeah if that seemed like the thing that tipped him over and i get it i mean i don't i don't hold too much disdain for this jury because the amount of the amount of bullshit evidence they were allowed to see that was completely irrelevant and frankly just meant to be character evidence even though that's not what it was intended for um i, I wasn't surprised when they came back guilty because they just had to sit through multiple extra weeks of testimony of how much of a piece of shit this guy was and every single dollar he stole from every person and like a disabled guy and his brother who was also more disabled and their mom who died at the house and so so going back to the guns they don't know what the murder weapons are one's a shotgun so they can't match the ballistics to anything the other's a 300 blackout which there was there was multiple state witnesses who testified about Paul losing one of those 300 blackouts years before, and now a second one is missing. Uh, one of his good friends testified that he had lost guns multiple times, left them at his truck, at his buddy's house, or whatever. So, I mean, that 
that doesn't really the fact that there's a missing gun at the house is not very unexpected given his track record with leaving guns other places or having guns stolen so we don't know what the murder weapons were so there's no way of um saying definitively you know which shell casings came from what gun or whatever then there's this issue with the blue tarp or rain jacket that they found months later miraculously because there there was there was conflicting testimony about the his mom uh sorry alex's mom's caretaker seeing him with some sort of tarp but then months after the murder they found this rain jacket in the closet at his parents house and there was there was some trace residue of gun there was some trace gunshot residue on the inside of the rain jacket which the the inference they're expecting you to make is he transported the guns from the scene in this jacket but for some reason there's no blood there's no brain matter there's no dna on the jacket there's some gunshot residue on the inside which doesn't make sense if you're wrapping the guns up um and yeah they didn't they didn't find this tarp until months later or sorry rain jacket until months later and so if the thing if the thinking is he used this to wrap up the guns hide the guns and then he just decided to take this rain jacket and put it in his mom's closet like why wouldn't he have also just hidden that and gotten rid of that as well that that doesn't make any sense I think they were just using that as like, well, we found this thing later on. Everyone in the family is a hunter, so when it can't, when it tested positive for GSR gunshot residue, they're like, yeah, set, throw it in. Also, we'll just we'll just use that because the uh, I mean, when they when they looked in his car, there was no blood, there was no water to indicate he had shit rinsed off down at the kennels. There was no brain matter, you know, there was nothing in the car other than like a spot of blood on the steering wheel, which is more consistent with his story of him touching his wife or his son and then touching the steering wheel. If, yeah, so we can, we can get into that more in a little bit, but if, if you guys want to hop in at all, let me know. Cause the next thing I wanted to get into is the, the kennel video. I think you're muted. Yeah, Jim. My bad. I sneezed earlier and didn't realize I never turned <laughs> it back on, uh, to interject real quick. Uh, so, where we we stand with Nate, you thought uh, that he's guilty and that guilty verdict held up, and then Steve is arguing that he should it should have been a hung jury or he should have oh, been no. found not guilty. not guilty all day. Yeah. Okay. I don't even think um, it's close to be honest. So Based if I'm going on- if I'm going if I'm going for the jury, I mean, I, I was just talking me personally, thinking he was sure. And yeah. and by and by your standard, I would say if I was on a jury. By your standard, I would say not guilty, because because of all these all these factors. But mm-hmm. yeah, well, and there's um, if if I think I can't remember if it was in the exact jury instructions verbatim, but the charge is if there's a plausible explanation consistent with innocence, you must not you may or you can or if you feel like it you you can. It's like you must vote not guilty you know so mm-hmm. i don't know how seriously these guys took their char uh took the jury charge but um oh you know what i skipped over oh i skipped over my favorite part okay so Here's speaking it. speaking of the shoddy investigation um they had special agent david owen on the stand who's a sled agent this was unbelievable to me that this guy lied to the grand jury twice and we talked about it on the last episode but if you get a search warrant, like for Jim's house, based on bullshit, and I find drugs or something there, I'm not allowed to bring that in because it was it was 
it was um, found under false pretenses. It's right. There's yeah, a you've fun... seen that in a hundred cop buddy cop movies and shit where he just like loses it and kicks the door in off of a gut yeah. off of motion, and they find it. He's like, and then he goes back, and the fucking chief's like, "God damn it, we can't use that in trial now." You know, like yeah. they, they got to pull it away. So yeah, there it's a doctrine that's called "fruit of the poisonous tree," where doesn't matter what you get from it if if the premise of you or the pretense of you getting it is bullshit sorry all that's gone and i know it sucks if it's done innocently like you've seen that you've seen that sometimes before where they like filled out the wrong thing on a search warrant you know it's not done nefariously it's like oh a clerical error or the address like, well, was off by kicking in a door it's a fucking bullshit fucking yeah. formality but yeah. it's like sorry i mean this is the only way to prevent over overstepping by law enforcement, you know, abusing the fuck out of it. Yeah. So he lied to the ties back into that hundred people guilty. Yeah, go yeah exactly. Him. So there were two lies to the grand jury. Uh, the first one was that on his, on the shirt Alex was wearing the night that they contacted him, it had high velocity blood spatter on it. <clears throat> and if that was the case, this is, this is an, an example of if they actually had high velocity blood spatter on a shirt, there's no plausible alternative explanation other than he did it. You're not going to get that type of blood spatter on your shirt other than being the guy who's holding a gun, shooting somebody, because it's, it's, it's unique. It's not like he went down and was like touching his kid and there's blood, right? You could explain that. So or, what or, happened, he was, or, or he was standing near when it happened. Right. He, yeah. He, right. Like either either way, he was it, there. The car <laughs> yes. was making him watch. He was there the moment the shots were fired. Um, and so what had happened was they originally thought the shirt he was wearing that night was the one he was wearing when he killed him. So they took it in the evidence. They did a presumptive test. The presumptive test was positive. So they sent it off to be, uh, the follow-up actual blood test. We talked about it before. They cut 74 pieces. All Mm -hmm. 74 were negative for blood. Uh, the, the presumptive test will test positive for like bleach. So, and other detergents, I think. So that's probably what it was. So, but by the time they got... The, the actual blood test back and it was 0 for 74, they realized they had a problem on their hands. So they sent a picture of it to a guy or maybe he looked at the actual shirt. But uh, yeah, upon further review, shockingly, he's looking at the shirt like, oh yeah, I see, I see high velocity blood spatter all over this thing. So they tested it again and they stained it to the point where you can now no longer test it again. And so that's when you saw the narrative change to the Snapchat video from earlier in the day where he had like the blue shirt and the khakis. They're like, well, right. where'd the, well, where'd these clothes go? You never gave them to us. And they're like, well, first of all, uh, you never asked for them. And second of all, now you're shifting the burden to us to be your little detective to solve everything. Like uh, they had access to his entire property that night. There was, you know, and the, he's on video saying like, you can look at my phone, you can search the house, you can do whatever you want. So if there was anything they didn't find, it wasn't through lack of consent or anything. And mm-hmm. they also talked about searching his mom's house. Like, did you ever go and look at his mom's house that night? And they're like, well, we never got consent to do it. And then they got up on cross and like, well, did you ask? And he's like, no. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> you can't just say you were denied. You know, you didn't have consent when you never asked for it from the person who's allowing you access to literally anything uh, you're asking for. But the second lie to the grand jury was, um, Paul was shot with a shotgun, or maybe two shotguns, I don't know, because the first one was buckshot and the second shot was birdshot, and uh, when he was 
interviewing Alex, this special agent, said that we found other shotguns in your house that had that same unique load combination, buckshot and birdshot, which is unusual for that for the house and just unusual in general. And Alex is like, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that or, or whatever. And so on cross, they're like, um, was that, well, was that true? Or were you attempting to deceive him by whatever, by doing whatever? And the special agent had one of my favorite quotes from the entire trial. He goes, I'm allowed to use trickery to elicit a response. Basically just said, like, yeah, just say you lied. It's okay. You're allowed to, you know? So then they're crossing him more. They're like, well, did you tell the grand jury the same thing? And he's like, no, I told him that there were other shotguns that had mixed loads, like Winchester and Federal and, you know, Remington and whatever. But, uh, no, I didn't, I didn't tell him that they had the same buckshot and birdshot load. And they bring his transcript from the grand jury and it's like, yep, there were other guns in the house that had buckshot and birdshot. And like, Okay, well, that's a lie as well. So, you know that that's pretty bad. I mean, is would they would they still have gotten the indictment? Would do that? Uh, yeah, that, I mean, that's... yeah, I mean, there could be. A, so, I've heard of people who will do like a load of rock salt and then like buckshot and then birdshot. The first one being like a warning, and the second one is like a tighter spread, and then the third is like a more broad. But I mean, there was no other guns in the house that had that type of load in it, so. I mean, okay. even if they had found him, that's not really like a nail in the coffin. But the fact that you have to lie about it, it's like, okay, yeah. this is this is the act of a desperate investigation that doesn't actually have a lot. So they sort of right. have to fudge it. Trying, they would have still, yeah, they would have still gotten the indictment without that in without those two pieces of info. But it just goes to show they're they're willing to put their thumb on the scale a little bit to further their narrative. So. Wait, wait, quick question about yeah. the high-velocity blood spatter. Yeah. So the, who thought, like, when they got there, the cops and the detectives, they saw, like, his shirt? Did, so did it look like there was blood on his shirt? And that's where they were like, that no. looks like high-velocity blood spatter. No, and it's funny because the the first female, I think she's sled or sheriff or whatever, they elicited testimony from her. She was one of the first witnesses that his shirt smelled freshly laundered I'm like that's kind of a weird thing for her to say, but then later they tie it up as well. He had just changed his clothes because they they had to change their story from this is what he was wearing at the time of the shooting to oh he just changed his clothes. Um, but I think I think I may have confused you with the timeline. So they sent the shirt I think for the presumptive test. It came up positive. Then what does a presumptive test consist of? Do you they, know? They just put a chemical on it. So imagine like luminol it on the floors. Right. So it'll light up as a presumptive positive, but then they have to go do an, a, do an actual test. Okay. At, at and some so what point, you think set it off was like bleach or some kind of detergent? So Yeah, or it, it could be animal blood. I mean, these guys, they live on a hunting property, so it's not out of the realm of possibility. But right. at some point, they got the test results back, and it was negative for blood. So I don't know if that happened when they when they elicited this second expert to come in and be like, oh yeah, I see I see the blood spatter on here. I don't know exactly if that was before they got the actual blood test or after. I think it was after right. because then when he came in after, they they tested it again and that's when it was like all dyed purple. They couldn't do shit with it. So I right. think they they took it to the defense and were like, we're sorry, uh, we fucked this shirt up and now we can't S- test it anymore. So was that expert saying he was testifying that from the pictures he was given that he could identify by eye? They didn't. High, high, 
So the guy who was getting torched on cross was the special right. agent. They didn't right. bring in that expert because they knew he would have just get just gotten torn to shreds. Okay. It, they were just alluding to this second expert they brought in because they they didn't get the result they wanted from the first one. Okay, gotcha. Uh, and if if I'm wrong on any of those details, send in some hate mail. Okay, sorry to derail you. That, that no, was just good. interesting because if you, to me, I would think if you can see it, you know, you're dealing with a different animal here. Yeah, well, I mean, it would be like a mist, right? So. I, presumably you could see it, but I mean, it could just be your eyes playing tricks on you. Or it could just be so tiny that it fucking just fits in between the cotton fibers in this white shirt. Yeah, I guess. I don't, I don't know what right. the, the rationale, right. but it, it, yeah, it I just, I don't want to belabor the point. It just kind of, bad. it just kind of stunk of a little desperation and you could, you could tell the state did not like it when they were going down that line of questioning. They were, they were just trying to like, yeah, yeah, yeah um, moving on to uh, other stuff. So <laughs> other than the forensic tool mark examiner, obviously the biggest, the biggest piece of evidence that makes him look bad besides the two or three weeks of financial crimes evidence is the kennel video, right? So I would, I would implore you to, if you were to try to think about this in a light beneficial to Alex, um, if they didn't have the kennel video, do you think they still would have charged him? I would submit that the answer is yes, because instead of him being at the kennels, he's a third of a mile away at his house. So if the video didn't exist, it's not like they'd say, I mean, well, he couldn't have done it. He was right down the road at the house, you know? So the, the problem is the lie, right? So because if you, if you watch the video, you don't hear an argument or, Dad, why do you have that gun or anything like that? It's kind of an innocuous just video that yeah. catches him in a lie. Um, I was going to prepare a list of former coworkers that Jim and I had who are, were either current or former drug addicts who would literally lie for no reason at all about the most innocuous shit, but it's just their <laughs> default setting. I decided not to do that. But <laughs> so that, 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 I think that is more likely. Because, you are a coward <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> Yeah, because his explanation of, well, I lied because I was worried Sled was going to steamroll me or whatever, or screw up the investigation. It's like, I don't really buy that that's why. I mean, in hindsight, I mean, that's a pretty good excuse given this investigation, but I don't think that's what he was thinking at the time. It just didn't sound very believable to me. Um, But if the lie was, no, I wasn't at the kennels. I was in Florida. It's like, okay, well. That actually, that lie would affect whether or not he could have done it, right? Because if they could prove, no, he was in Florida. He literally couldn't have been here. So it's it's a it, it would be a, a material lie at that point. But the fact that he said, no, I wasn't at the kennels. I was at home. It's like, okay, yeah, it's not good that you got caught in a lie, but it really doesn't change the likelihood that he did or didn't do it other than the fact that he lied. But... I mean, the state lied multiple times to the grand jury. So if, if they wanted to just like turn it into a, a Donnybrook about lying, <laughs> you know, they, they're two to one. But it's, it's a gold, good old fashioned Donnybrook. I mean. Yeah. Well, and he also mentioned going back to the house and nodding off for a couple minutes and then getting up to go to his mom's. And they're like, what, you just you just go take a nap for like two minutes. Uh, similar to our list of former coworkers who are drug addicts, 
I have seen multiple of them nod off for a minute or two at a time and then just wake right back up and, you know, hop back on a forklift, which is scary as shit to think about. But uh, I'm sure Jim is thinking of similar guys to what I'm thinking. Do we know the same guys? <laughs> oh yeah, it's scary. Well, Nate Dog's in the in the same kind of industry, so I'm sure he's got some war stories too. Oh yeah, shit. Okay. Do you remember so. the dude that pet? We got some temps one time, and this dude we took a break at like nine ten o'clock, and there's a stack of pallets, and like we're like, all right, let's go back, and they're like, where's Timmy? And like you look out, and he's just fucking sprawled on a pallet, just passed out. Yeah, it was a it was a stacked pallet. And on the back side, wasn't there like a little carved out nook that he was like, he was hidden. (laughs) He was like hidden from view. And somebody just poked their head around like, huh, well, you're fired. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Dude, I found a guy. I found a guy. We had a whole big stack, floor loaded, big stack of of, uh, paper towels. And uh, the guy picked up the picked up the front couple pallets. And then dug himself a hole and then backed in with a with the uh, nice. the forklift. So when you drove by, you just saw the walled front. But if nice. you looked in be- if you stopped and looked between, you'd see a lift behind the pallets, <laughs> behind the paper towels. That's awesome, Jim. I don't even know because I think by this time you might have been out of the warehouse. But in one of our bays that were that were double bays, in the mm. back, we came in one day and, and we were like just moving stuff around. And we look back and somebody had made like a bed, like blankets and pillows. And we're like, is somebody living here that we don't know about? (laughs) And I don't remember how it came up, but one of the owners of the company was like, oh, yeah, that was my daughter. We had like a weird warehouse sleepover. I'm like, you're lucky you didn't get crushed by a forklift. Like, yeah, yeah. seriously. Like, that doesn't sound very fun. I I remember hearing about that now. But, yeah, I think that was after... Uh, my time there. Hello? Oh, yeah, that's Steve's background. Damn. Mm. Yeah, I have to filter that out through... Uh, it's crazy when you when you muted all that fucking, that like little, that little baby amount of white noise that I was telling you about at the beginning just completely shut off. It oh. like, weirded me out. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> it did the same thing. Everything dropped out. <laughs> yeah, Weird. That's crazy. I wonder what the fuck that is. It's like, like, do you have a small humidifier in like the corner of your room? Just like... I have a box of snakes right next to me, but that couldn't be it. <laughs> Live snakes? Yeah. Well, I mostly. Hate those things. Why'd it have to be snakes? <laughs> are you or are you not the black angel of death? All right. So now do you want to get to the fun stuff? Yeah. Here's the fun stuff. Hmm. This is the buffet of reasonable doubt that we haven't even gotten into yet. <laughs> so I think you've been crushing it. <laughs> Well, so here are just a couple little highlights of things that, I mean, there's just, it was never really explained to why by the state and wasn't hammered as hard by the defense as it should have been, but things that just don't make sense that, that I personally feel like are uh, fertile grounds for reasonable doubt. So uh, the first one was there was an unknown male DNA profile found under Maggie's fingernail. Ooh. That's weird. Um the state got up there and was talking about, well, you know, there's DNA everywhere. You can pick it up. You know, you could just pick it up at any time. Uh, but she had actually had a manicure earlier in that day. So you would think that her nails would be about as pristine as, as possible. And, and there's certain things you can infer from what the state does not tell you. 
So you might be thinking, well, I mean, it could be her nail tech, right? Because he's touching her nails, presumably. Um, and if it was, I don't know. But oh, okay. you, you could you could come to that thought. That's, right? what, un- that's what unknown means, Jim. Gotcha. But you you know for damn sure that if it that if it was her nail tech, they would have told you that. So the fact that they didn't tell you that shows it's either they didn't look into it or it doesn't match that person. So right. Um, and the whole the two shooters thing. The, I don't know why this is so tough for for people to understand. Um, it doesn't make any sense barring some weird happening that goes on down at the kennels, right? It doesn't make any sense for one person to take two guns. And uh, everyone agrees that Paul was shot and killed first with a shotgun, and then Maggie is killed with a 300. If you were going to do that, the 300 is a much more effective gun to use because it's higher magazine capacity, it's more accurate, you know. So it, it, it seems more likely or just as likely that it was two people, two guns, maybe even three people because of the weird shotgun loads. And if you look at where the shell casings for the shotgun landed inside the feed room, they're right next to each other, which is unusual because there's some disagreement about the second shot to Paul. So the first one, they say the gun was just inside the feed room door. So that one could have bounced up and around to the side. But the second shot they think is outside the feed room door Upward is what the state says, but the shell, uh, the ejected shell ends up in the same place inside the feed room door, which is unusual without maybe getting kicked or whatever. Who knows? But there's an interesting disagreement between the state thinks the second shot came up through his neck and blew his brain up out of his head. The defense's expert thinks that the shot came down and the concussive power of the gas blew his brain back outward, but you're looking at opposite directions. The second option, if it's a traditional like pump shotgun, that would make sense where the shell casing was if the shooter came around from behind him and domed him in the back of the head. Uh, We won't know because the medical examiner didn't shave his head to see if there was a contact wound. And there was a fun moment on cross where the medical examiner was like really frazzled and didn't enjoy being cross-examined. And the defense attorney is like, because she's proclaiming she knows all this stuff about contact shotgun wounds because she's seen suicides. And he's like, well, have you ever seen a contact shotgun wound that wasn't a suicide? And she's like, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure I have. And he's like, would you say it's less than one? Like, you haven't seen any lady and you're full of shit? <laughs> because it would look different. Um, but either way, um, whoever the shooter was, if it, it was a downward shot, they would be covered in blood, brain matter, because the brain hit the ceiling and landed next to his leg. But even from the state's theory, if it's an upward shot from the other direction, the amount of blood that would come down on you from shooting somebody right. in the head with a shotgun, I think I, I think I read that the human body has like seven liters of blood in it, in brain matter. And I, I know, Jim, I know you and I have watched some pretty fucked up videos uh, yeah. of the amount of carnage that happens when you shoot somebody in the head with a shotgun. Yeah. The amount of blood is like it, it's probably it's like unreal for most people bag, to, to think about a bag of blood yeah so the uh <clears throat> so for the shotgun one one thought i had for why the two shells are right next to each other is if it's a if it's a double barrel break action when you pop it open they're both going to shoot out sort of in the same general direction so that might explain why 
they had to dump that gun and use another one for the second person, or or maybe there was a second shooter. I don't know, but it, it, it just seems unusual that he would head down there to kill his wife and kid and take two guns with him, and they wouldn't. Yeah. I don't know. That on its face, something so, like a shotgun and a rifle, and you're carrying it, it just, yeah, it doesn't sound very practical if you're trying to pull it off. But let's pr- let's pretend that didn't exist. Sorry, Nate, go ahead. I was going to say, see, and that's where I'm saying is, that's just the point, is for him to carry Well, that's odd that he would carry it down there. Well, that's to put up a that's fair. reasonable yeah. doubt. Yeah, if you were thinking that far ahead, so yeah, like, yeah, I'll carry these two so let's, oddball let's pretend guns. There's no dispute about that. Um, let's, okay, before we, before we jump ahead to the amount of blood that he must have been covered with, um, so Maggie's phone, uh, the kennel video is from 844, I think. The last activity on their phones is 849 or 850. Um, Maggie's phone is tossed by the side of the road, I think at 902. If I'm getting these times wrong, forgive me, it's based on memory. But, oh, sorry, I should say the last orientation change on Maggie's phone is at 9.02, presumably from somebody picking up the phone and tossing it out the window on the side of the road. I don't I don't think it's reasonable to think that somebody could pick up her phone, which had raced awake on it. So you turn it over, it's going to light up, throw it out the window without it registering an orientation change. At the exact moment or within 10 seconds of the phone being tossed a half mile away from the house, he is turning on his Suburban back at the house. So it's it's pretty unlikely to think that those two things could be happening at the same time if it's him. Okay, let's pretend that isn't um, as damning either. So, 8.45, the last activity is at 8.50-ish. We've already heard about the cell phone spottiness. They have no idea what the time of death actually was. Assume it's before 9.02 because her phone is gone and it's tossed. So, sometime between 8.50 and 9.02. Right, so let's pretend it's right at eight fifty when their phones stop working. That means there's twelve minutes for him to take the guns, get on the golf yeah. cart, get back to his house, go in the house, clean up, not leave blood, brain matter, anything anywhere in the house, not in the drain, not on his clothes, not on a door handle, nowhere in the house. Then he has to come back out at nine o two, drive to his mom's house leave no blood brain whatever in the car go to his mom's come back whatever um there's no blood or anything on the golf cart which is what he said he he rode down there and and came back uh i don't i don't see how that's possible yeah someone rattled on drugs i remember hearing this too and it's like and having the wherewithal and being lucky enough to not smear any of that shit on anything seems i mean for for as much as you want to like think that he's like a mastermind and plan this whole thing like that tight of a tolerance like that time frame and like just boom 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 doing everything right seems pretty implausible yeah i don't i don't see how it's possible at all um and so then he leaves to go to his mom's because without without getting into too much of the other boring stuff his dad had been admitted to the hospital that day and he got a text from the housekeeper saying, you know, your mom's like agitated or whatever. So he went over there. Um, and so now we get to the the idea that he's manufacturing an alibi, right? So if he was a criminal mastermind and he was going to manufacture an alibi, he could have done much better. First of all, he could have said, uh, yeah, I lied about being at the kennels, but I went back to the house, fell asleep, 
woke up an hour later, hadn't heard from him, went down and they were dead, right? He didn't need to go to his mom's house. There's no, there's no need to do that. He could just say, I was, I was at the house. Um, they were saying that when he called, so shortly before Maggie's phone gets tossed out the car, he had called her. So they're saying, oh yeah, he's calling her to establish an alibi. What seems more likely to me is whoever did kill Maggie and Paul took the phone for whatever reason left Paul's phone for whatever reason, doesn't make any sense to me, but they took her phone, and then when he called, they were like, oh shit, he's calling, um, they could probably track this phone, and that's when they tossed it out. Because just the idea, of, if Alex did it, taking her phone, but not his phone, it doesn't make any logical sense to me. Um, but if he, was, if, he, if he was manufacturing an alibi and he did do that, why not answer the phone, let it stay open for a minute or two, hang up, and then now you've totally changed the timeline to like, oh, no, I talked to her, you know, at 9, 9.04 or whatever. And this is well after I left the house. So it, it couldn't have been me. Um, and he also only stayed at his mom's house for like 20 minutes. There was some issue about him saying he was there for an hour or 30 minutes. It doesn't really make much difference to me. But if if he was trying to manufacture an alibi, you would think that he would stay there longer and, or not at all. It I don't know. It, it just seems like. They're trying to shoehorn the facts of what happened into, oh, yeah, I mean, clearly, this is obviously him trying to establish an alibi by driving to his mom's house. Like, well, well, and then the thought was, well, he's driving there to dispose of the guns. Like, okay, well, did you search there? Did you find him? Uh, no. So he couldn't have gone far. No. And they and they made a big deal about... Take him there. Well, yeah, and they had... So this was one of the funny things. During the trial, they had been talking about how his OnStar data was encrypted and they couldn't figure it out. Like we talked about and a guy spent an entire year making some program to decrypt it. And it just gave him base data. But then during the trial, OnStar contacted them and was like, yeah, we have all this data. You guys never asked for it. So they sent it over and I mean, it matches his story. So there was like a, a one minute pause when he's at his mom's house in the driveway when he goes to leave. And they're like, well, could that have been the one minute where he was hiding the guns in the tree line? It's like, uh, I don't know, maybe, but but all of this should have found him. All of this line of questioning of could this have happened, or maybe he did this, or maybe he did that. These are that's that's a defense style of question because you're raising reasonable doubt. You're, they're not mm-hmm. saying this is what we think happened. And we're going to prove it to you, and and so when that happens, and you have all of this six weeks of evidence, quote unquote, but. The, the state never actually laid out the narrative of what they think happened. And I think the reason they did that is because they wanted the jury to go back and start piecing these things together without them explicitly saying, we think this happened because then, then they're committing themselves to a story. And if it's wrong, then it can be picked apart. But if they're like, look at this just mountain of stuff we're telling you, uh, we just need to convince 12 of you to reach a guilty verdict, but you could all take different routes to get there, you know? Mm-hmm. So like here's all, all of this all stuff. Path, I mean, it must be, lead to God. it must be there because look at how much stuff we just presented to you over the last six weeks. So I don't want to cut to the chase here, but I'm curious now, now that we've been talking and like how, uh, I, I mean, you've convinced me that like, it seems pretty implausible that he pulled this off by himself, specifically just looking at the murder of Maggie and Paul. But given like how it could have been done better or tighter, and it wasn't, 
And then I think back to like his botched suicide. It's like, is this just, do you think this is like, aside from like the case and what the prosecution should have done, but like in your heart of hearts, like, I wonder what the fuck happened. Do you think it's more likely that some, that he tried to get someone to do this a la trying to, to suicide himself? Um, it's possible. I mean, that's a theory I've heard floated like, uh, I mean, I've heard, I've heard speculation that he hired somebody to kill him that day, but they came and mistook Paul for him and killed him and then had to kill the wife or, you know, there's, there's no end. There's no end to the type of, uh, theories that are out there. But the whole drug thing, I'm thinking too, like, I'm, I'm probably too much of like Ozark, but like, I'm thinking of like a cartel or something like getting involved and like making him watch and shit. And that's like, maybe he got some spray or like, yeah, I mean, he that's could, why his shit was so close to that. Well, that house. there was no, there was no blood spatter on him just to be clear. But yeah, I've kind of thought the same thing that it, it could have been a message killing because, um, one of the other things was talking about his drug dealer, the guy, the most inept hitman of all time. He was an intermediary between him and the actual drug dealers. And there was mm-hmm. some, there was some questioning about, if he was possibly skimming money and not paying the drug dealers, that this could have been retribution for a drug debt or mm-hmm. retribution for Paul and the boating accident. And in any mm-hmm. of those scenarios, it makes more sense to not kill Alex because first of all, he's the money guy. So you want the money to keep coming in. And second of all, if you want to punish him, you don't just kill him. You kill his family. You know, that's right. pretty normal. So, I mean, that makes more sense to me than, I mean, I guess the the final piece of the puzzle on why this story doesn't make any sense to me is the idea of motive. What does he gain from killing his wife and blowing his son's brains out? <laughs> it was never explained. They, they brought in all the financial crime info only under the guise of, well, we're going to bring this in to prove motive. They never, they never drew the nexus between the financial right. crimes and why he would kill his wife and kid. But then it was so funny in the closing argument, the state said, you know, and, and this is true to convict a murder. We don't even need to prove motive. It's like, okay, yeah, you don't, that's not an element of murder that you have to prove, but you spent a lot of time talking about it. So you should probably try to prove it. If you're going to bring in all this financial stuff to do anything other than just make the guy look really bad, which uh, in case it's unclear, huge piece of shit. I think he's going to deserve it. Deserve. He, is going to deserve his life in prison based on right. the financial crimes. But th- there's a, there's a jump there that they never proved to me. So if like, so a couple little things that if when the phone gets tossed, they're able to see his GPS. If they were able to show that his car had slowed down right where the phone is tossed and then speeds back up. I mean, there's no, there's no alternative explanation to that consistent with innocence, right? That just makes, the only explanation would be like, oh yeah, he had the phone, he slowed down, tossed it, sped back up. But when you look at the GPS data, he turns and it's just like a, a normal acceleration going down the road. So if if they had found blood in his hair or something like that, like or on the headrest, there's no way you're getting blood in your hair just from touching the body, right? So there's there would be no alternate alternative explanation consistent with innocence if that were the case. Um, yeah, if like in the, in the kennel video, if they, if there was like an argument or like a dad, what are you doing? You know, that wouldn't make any sense, but all of, all of the evidence they presented, it's like, well, I mean, yeah, 
this might look bad if you look at it through this lens, but as a jury, you are supposed to look at it through this lens. And if you do, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I could see an alternative, me personally. But um, so one of the thing that's interesting is you would think that so South Carolina is a death penalty state. And you would think that, I mean, personally, I can't think of I can't really think of something much more deserving of the death penalty than a dad who murdered murders his wife and wife and yeah. literally blows his son's brain out of his head. So, but they That's didn't. That's a good point. Why wouldn't they fucking push that? You know why? There's two reasons why. The first reason is this is a pretty, uh, pretty slim case as far as evidence goes. In the opening statement, the uh, the state was going on and on about. You know, circumstantial evidence is just as good as direct yeah. evidence. And that was the first indication to me that they were oh. they were sort of telegraphing like, oh, they don't have much, but they're going for it. And that would explain why they brought in deputy attorney generals. And at the very end of the case, they actually brought in the actual South Carolina attorney general, the top dick in South Carolina, because in my opinion, I think they thought they were losing the case because they were. Uh, luckily, they just had a jury of... <clears throat> really dumb people and they were able to just lie to them over and over for weeks. But, um, so they knew that they had a, a pretty circumstantial case that was pretty weak. So it would be a lot easier to get a conviction if it was just murder, you know, run of the mill, but a death penalty case, that's a big deal. The second reason why they didn't seek the death penalty, in my opinion, is do you know what voir dire means? The term voir dire. So I've heard of Boudreaux, but <laughs> So voir dire, it, it's French. Yeah. Bauhaus. Yeah. <laughs> so voir dire, it's what they refer. That's what they call like the the questioning of the jury before a trial. Mm. Um, it's French for some bullshit like finding the truth or whatever. <laughs> but in this case, the the voir dire process wasn't super lengthy. But if it's a death penalty case, then it gets much more serious and you're able to uh, essentially interview every single juror, potential juror individually to help you sort of ferret out bias. Oh, wow. So it, it helps the defense go deeper into each one of these potential jurors because, you know, if it's a death penalty case, now the stakes have gone from here to, you know, the stratosphere. So it makes wow. sense that the, that the state was like, no, we'll just we'll just ask for life because we don't want to potentially expose bias. We we want that. They want that. So yeah, I thought that yeah. was interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to play devil's advocate to that a little bit too and say like I don't know. It, it goes back to emotion though, like and like a an idea of the guy being a piece of shit because if if you were like, I think I know, but the case is weak but I don't want to let this guy off. But if we push like to kill him, like he should die for something this fucking heinous, we might lose, but I don't know. Just yeah. trying to put an opposite side to that coin. But I mean, yeah, I mean, if you are dead to rights on someone, you would think I'm going to, I'm going to push for well, this too. And you could also, if you thought your case was strong, you could threaten him say, Hey, we're seeking the death penalty. To get him to plea to a lesser, it as leverage, yeah. But like, not hey, not only did he not plead, he waived his uh, speedy trial right, which we talked about on the last episode. Which which is like a that's an indicator of like you guys don't have shit, 
and I know yeah. it. And so let's go. You know, we're not going to waste any more time. <laughs> but, you know, didn't really work out for him. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Nate? Nate Dog, thoughts? Yes. I, 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 I get what you're saying. And like I said before, like from a jury standpoint, they should not have been able there. There's there's too much reasonable doubt. I think he was a part of it in some way. I think he's he's definitely responsible. He could be. Um, he, I'm, I'm curious. What even he, a, and and by himself and and he had to have help to either commit or to cover up or help him cover up or help him clean up whatever. Yeah. What do you think his motive was though? Genuinely curious. Um, I think he was. I think it was like a desperate attempt to try and like not have stuff come to light that was going to come to light anyway. I think he was just, I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I was kind of thinking that too. And maybe like trying to work a sympathy angle, maybe like, a, Oh, this poor man, like his wife and child were killed. Like, you know, or like you say, like a desperate act, like maybe, uh, just like, I mean him trying to off himself. That was a pretty desperate act. Yeah. Felt the walls coming through. I mean, if anything, I, I I mean, I didn't watch a ton of this, but the little bit that I did watch, uh, I will say that the prosecution laid it on pretty thick with like all the financial crimes and all all that heinous shit. And he he was in this vicious cycle of like being in the hole, like a million to three million or whatever it was, or five hundred thousand, and then he's getting the line of credit and the loan, and then embezzling, paying yeah. back that person, and it was just like. And then when, like you said, when he got fired, then it was like, oh, fuck, like, what do I do? So desperate act of a desperate man. But yeah, I would, the only thing I could think is like, cause he, he did mention too, like, you know, the trials, the various trials that we haven't really covered, but that are, that are covered quite a bit, uh, in both the HBO and the Netflix documentaries, from what I understand, the Netflix one, but, um, yeah, like just trying to use it. Cause he's, he's always using like, uh, like a last ditch effort to pay this thing off and just to kind of keep the, the wheels rolling like one more day or, you know, a week longer before he can figure out his next play. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was, there was testimony from Mark Tinsley, who was the, the civil attorney who was going after him for the Mallory beach boat case, huge scumbag, but they're, they're both cut from the same cloth. You know, these are both two scumbag ambulance chasers basically. And he, Mm -hmm. he testified that Murdaugh, of all the personal injury claims in that part of the county or whatever, he had half of them. So that is that is a money factory that this guy has, mm. just settling with insurance companies day in and day out. Um, so he had the money coming in. And one of the things the state made a big deal of was the morning of the murders. Uh, oh, shit. What's her name? The, the CFO of his firm Murdoch's like, firm. Hey, I know that you're doing this shit. Well, that's the way they tried to frame it, but if you actually listen to the testimony, she's she's a former secretary who got elevated to CFO and I'm not sure why that's she's a allowed a big jump. It is. And I don't know why she's allowed to keep her position because she missed millions of dollars of embezzling over the last 10 years. I think yeah. they I think they gave her and kept her in that job because to keep her quiet because she knew there was mm-hmm. all sorts of financial shit going on. So that yeah, morning, that point. it wasn't a confrontation. She came into his office and was like, Hey, um, sorry. Uh, I was just talking to this guy's secretary and there's like an issue with the, this, this check because there's the judgment, like uh, the fees check versus the whatever. Um, it, it wasn't a big deal, but that day he had reached out to 
one of his bankers and was like, hey, uh, I'm going to need like a big fucking loan. And it was like, okay, yeah, no problem. It's just there's constant money moving back and forth. And I don't think he was worried about it at all yeah. that day. Hmm. Hmm. Well, especially because if if he was doing it to garner sympathy, his dad had just gone into the hospital that day. So he could use that to get a continuance in the civil case. He could have used that to get, you know, uh, Seconder, Jeannie Seconder off his back. Um, and yeah, I mean, there was testimony from a different attorney. I can't remember who it was, a different civil attorney who was talking about, you know, Alex wasn't really that worried about the civil liability in the boat case because, I mean, Paul was an adult. So it's not like he's an underage kid that you can go after their dad for for mm-hmm. all the liability. I mean, yeah, you could try to go after him for like a different way of like un- undo. I can't remember what they called it, but it was some some creative legal strategy to go after him for allowing his son to use his boat. Like, okay, well, I don't think he was that worried about that either. And and him to think he's like, I'm going to murder my son to get him out of his, um, cause he was under, uh, he was being charged with felony DWI for the boat case, but nothing had right. been happening for two years. So if I had a friend who was killed on a boat by a guy who was still free for two years, I might be tempted to go kill that guy. And if his mom happened to show up, I don't know. I mean, I also yeah. think there, there in that in that case when you're talking about that, I almost think it's like a um, he doesn't it, like a attempt to save the name almost type of thing, where it's not like if he thinks he's worried about his son, you know, being convicted or or whatever. It's it's kind of one of those like I, I, I don't know. That's a, but, that's a stretch. I, I admit it, that's a stretch. But but is the name saved by killing your wife again? <laughs> like. If it was, if it was like a, you know, a vengeance or something like that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, there was, there wasn't a single state witness who testified anything besides that he loved his wife and kid, you know? So it, it seems strange to, to say he wanted why, to. Why then, why then are there like, she was getting a divorce from him? Why is that out there? Because there's plenty of people saying that too. Um, well, not. Anybody who testified in court and I, I, if, I, I but it, and, and if there if there was a shred of evidence of her seeking a divorce, you better believe it would have come up in court because this judge let every single possible thing in and was like, "Yep, we'll just uh, let's just see how it goes. We'll, we'll deal with it." Yeah. Uh, quick, uh, quick, maybe side change here. Did you guys hear the? Did you hear the latest on the Stephen Smith case? Yeah, they just. I heard uh, that it reopened. Well, they just ruled it a homicide either today or they, yesterday. They nice. just today they're investigating Good. as a homicide now. Have Good. they Which, have they ex- have they exhumed him yet or no? I know they're working on it. Um, that I I didn't get through to see if they had yet or not. I know they're that they're I knew to put as pressure. as soon as I saw the um like the crime scene photos of that, I was like, mm. that's not a hit and run. <laughs> Ooh, like instantly, dude, and that's I've seen a hit run. That is not a hit run. <laughs> the Highway Patrol, whatever equivalent in that state, uh, said the same fucking thing in the HBO documentary. Like right away, he was like instantly, and it didn't. Yeah, it didn't make it in the report. Like he was like, you do you know, have those pictures? Talk- Can you send them in the in the chat? I'd like to see those. Uh, he was I, like, this dude. Th- he's like, I've him. gone through. Or it's it's okay. on me. No worries. I can I can look it up. 
He's like, I've gone through tons of hit and runs and, and seen stuff like this. And it's like body isn't placed, isn't like gently. There's like a shoe, they're fucking flying over here. There's like, there's tires, you know, like residue from breaking or turning hard after the impact. There's fucking little bits of plastic. There's like the, clothing. The legs, the legs are broken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like clearly. <laughs> It's like this dude was, yeah. I after watching that, I'm I'm interested to see where this goes. Like my kind of like fucking uh, uh, morbid curiosity part is like the tangent that they go off of that like Buster had a had a uh, relationship with the Stephen Smith and like you know there a lot of it chalked up to me like yeah this is a murder too like for sure like because like he should have had gas and it was like you know that could have got siphoned out like he had his phone on him his, why didn't he call his sister he's super his, close with his sister his sister had to help him out earlier in the day because it's his battery cables were loosened right yep like <laughs> a lot looks like you know some fuckery like right like, some like of these we're gonna, dudes are like trying to take him out and like set him up to be like have to him be stranded in this area, yeah. And that's when we're gonna fucking bonk him. And like, and where they find him is not where they find him is the opposite direction of the gas station. Go, right? Yeah. Not where you would. And he like, leaves his wallet. Thought, and yeah. Yeah. What you leave your fucking wallet? It's it's so many like basic things like right away like it it was it it should have been ruled that right out of the gate. Like, mm-hmm. it was super fishy, like, from, I mean, the the, so first, the highway patrol guy on the scene. So I didn't watch the, the doc or anything, but is there any uh, evidence that you're aware of that might actually link back to somebody? Or is this, or is this sort of just like a the, the public Buster, relations thing? The Buster-Steven connection is just, like, hearsay and, like, gossip, I think, in the town. Uh, like, they interviewed, like, a bartender, I think, that knew... Um, Stephen Smith's dad. His dad, real well. Mm-hmm. And he's like one of these old fucking crusty southern fucks, you know, that like would not be cool with like his son being gay. Mm-hmm. And um, and he said, the bartender said he told him, like, i known about Stephen like for a lot of years and like I never said anything to him. And, and then he's like, I know he's with that Buster boy, with that Murdoch boy or whatever. They're like doing some stuff. So... There's a lot, there is a lot of people on tape all saying Buster was with them. Really? Well, you know, Buster was also the nickname of Randolph Murdoch, the grandpa, so. Correct. (laughs) Either way. (laughs) I think, isn't he dead though? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, he died uh, two or three days after Maggie and Paul. I didn't hear that there was like a lot of audio. I heard that like uh, like the scuttlebutt around like the high school, you know, like when they were in high school together, mm-hmm. that was like the rumor. But yeah, that's. I mean, it doesn't look good for him, and I'm glad that that's getting reopened because that's the one. It's like the Mallory Beach. Yeah, that's fucked up, and that that needs to be something. Needs to there needs to be re- resolution of that too. But the poor Stephen Smith, you know, like hearing from his sister mm-hmm. and like how close they were and stuff, and like and like he had this bright future ahead of him. You're on mute, Steve. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, his sister, they're, it, it they're just, twins, right? Which makes it even worse. Yeah, yeah. and it, even further, like, the point, like, him leaving the, the phone and the wallet, like, he would have been like, hey, I'm out of gas. Like, this is a situation. Like, it, it's so, like, basic. He wouldn't, like, leave his phone in his car. But anyway, yeah, it's it's fucked. He had, like, a bright future, and, like, they, they did. I mean, it, it was kind of cut up in thirds, the HBO one, which was really good. It was, like, they examined Stephen Smith, the boating accident, and then 
Actually, the housekeeper. Uh, they fit in the housekeeper real good too. I mean that. I mean we didn't even. I don't think we have time to touch on that. But that's there's there's some fishy stuff there too. Like like that she tripped upstairs and like there was a dog that ran in the way. Was like that I were not Maggie around said. at all any other time. Yeah, and then someone else said like no, there wasn't a dog. She just tripped and fell or something like that. So there's like three conflicting yeah, like. Here's here's my take on the housekeeper. Um, I think she just tripped and fell and died. But and they freaked out, like how to deal with it. No, I think no, they were calm as shit. They didn't care yeah. about her. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they they cared about her. But Alex saw this as an opportunity because he had a he had a homeowner's insurance policy and he had an umbrella yeah. policy, and so he right. told the kid like, "Hey, if you sue me, you know, we we talked about this before, um, yeah. I can I can get you a, a couple hundred thousand dollars or whatever." Then he stole five and a half million dollars from this kid and his. Somehow, if it's even possible, more disabled brother, because this kid, when he took the stand, I felt really bad for him because he he seemed like not all there, but he's like a nurse. He works in a hospital. He's got his shit together, but, you know, he's taking care of his disabled brother. Five and a half million dollars. Can you imagine the how angry? Four and a half. Hang, how, I thought it was five and a half. Either way, call it yeah, five. It's a, five a lot. <laughs> um but yeah, can you imagine how mad you would be if you found out somebody stole five million dollars from you? Yeah. Um, but the other thing that's funny about that is they've reopened that investigation, and the family is like, um, "No, please don't look into this too much because if it's an accident, then they get the insurance money. If it's a intentional homicide, then they don't get the insurance money." So the family is like, "Fuck." <laughs> the family's like. Yeah, we appreciate the sentiment, but please don't, please don't look into this too much, because damn, they might have to give back that money. <laughs> We're in a tight spot, boys. Wow. Yeah, fuck that. That sucks. Yeah. Did didn't did you guys get a any uh, O'Doyle rules vibes from this family at all? Because uh... <laughs> <laughs> like a southern. No, a like southern... from Billy Madison, O'Doyle rules. <laughs> well, yeah, like no, like a southern version of that, yeah. <laughs> like a, a a southern dandy version of that. So I watched I watched the trial in uh, two times speed because these southern mushmouth fucks were so <laughs> annoying that that even in two times speed, I found myself thinking like, "Hurry up, come on, let's go." So I didn't I didn't get the full essence of, of the speaking but yeah i could see where you would get that it just falls out of your mouth like molasses oh my god <laughs> it was so obnoxious <laughs> all right well steve i think you, you you presented a pretty compelling case you should be a lawyer man or something paralegal or something no <laughs> no. Right. Can I do that without going to law school? Or uh... I know, right? I hate school. Uh, I hate it. That's the real scam. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've got we've gotten a lot of good feedback. People like uh, hearing you go on deep dives about uh, like the legal system and all, all of all of the uh, non movie kind of entries that we've hit on uh, are a big hit. So, um, so Steve thinks not guilty by way of. The prosecution not doing a good enough job, and the defense for that matter, but um, they should have done. They they didn't do Old Murdaugh any favors, but um, and then Nate, 
you're in the camp. Have you been swayed at all, or are you still firm? Yeah, I would. I would be swayed to the theory that it could have been a uh, message killing. Word. Although it does yeah. kind of make me jump to like a bigger conspiracy of like. Then they, you know, they had they keep talking about the airstrip air on Moselle, the plane taking yeah. off. That's where the big drug ring was coming through, and all that kind of stuff. Their yeah. property's on a river as well, which yeah. is a known drug smuggling route. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's probably the the sexiest theory to be had in this one. But right on. Yeah, I th- I, I feel more uh, informed about it, and uh, I thought that was an interesting discussion for sure. Um, I don't have any colloquialisms, do you, too, by chance? Yeah. Um, I'm just going to go back to the trial for one quick second because I want to yeah. comment on his chance for appeal. Um, I know a lot of people just oh, assume yeah. that it, if, if it's an unjust verdict that a, appeal is for sure going to work. Probably not. I, I really doubt he's going to get any sort of relief in the, in the appeal. But I thought there were two interesting points where uh, I can't remember which one of you alluded to it earlier where when he was being questioned, when he was on the stand, which in hindsight might have been a bad idea, but he was talking about. Um, well, that that's what that's what some of the jurors said sealed it. Like for they said when he got up on the stand and lied and admitted he lied, boom, that was it for them. Damn. Yeah, but the jurors also said, "Let me bring it back up." I this, know this really pissed me off. <laughs> um, when they were interviewed on Good Morning America, I know. They asked one of the gals, how did how did the financial crimes affect your deliberations or whatever? And she said, well, you know, we were told we were only allowed to consider it for motive, but it did show us that he was convincing and manipulative, which is precisely the reason why you don't bring that type of stuff in, because that's not what it was brought in for. That's exactly what she was not supposed to consider it for, but... Again, the state got away with it, so they were allowed to bring it in as character evidence, um, not for motive, because it didn't make any goddamn sense at all. But the other thing I was going to say is when they were questioning, questioning him on the stand, they asked him, uh, well, you know, the, uh, this new story about the, the reason why you lied about the kennel video, this is the first time we've ever heard that story. Why is that? Which is technically a Fifth Amendment violation, because... When you comment on a defendant's right to remain silent after they get arrested, it's a violation. So we've seen this in a couple other trials where the defendant takes a stand and the state's like, well, this is the first time we've ever heard this story. You've never told us this before. Well, well, yeah, it's because they don't have to tell you shit, but commenting on it, <laughs> at, it it's improper because you have a right to not say anything to police after you get arrested. So for them to comment on it, to make you look bad is wrong. The second right. thing they did was a Sixth Amendment violation where uh, Murdoch was saying, Mr. Waters, I've been trying to meet with you to talk about this financial stuff. You won't return my calls. And he goes um, something like, oh, yeah, you told your attorneys about the lie at the kennel video. When did you tell them about that? Which is an attempt to get him to discuss his attorney client privilege, which is a Sixth Amendment violation. And, you know, the judge just allowed everything and it was a shit show. And so he might have he might have an issue on that. And also the admission of all of the insane financial crimes, bad acts, evidence that literally had no bearing on anything, but just was a dog pile of making the guy look bad, which, yeah, he is a bad I guy. See like a, 
I could see yeah. like a, a defense attorney wanting to like make a name for themselves, take on the appeal to say, well, I got him off of, uh, got him off for murder or whatever type of thing, even though he's still going to go away for all the financial stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because it sounds like his, his legal team, uh, Harputlian and Griffin are going to handle the appeal, which is interesting because if you think about it, one of the things you can appeal on is ineffective assistance of counsel. So you could point to the multiple things that your lawyers did wrong throughout the trial, but it's going to be really hard to do that, to argue ineffective assistance of counsel, if your appeal attorneys are the same. So you can't be that dissatisfied with their work if you still have them with you. But yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we won't have to hear about any of this for another year at least, and it'll probably get denied and who knows. But yeah, I think it's a miscarriage of justice at the least and a travesty at worst. If we're being honest, in case there was anybody out there who still didn't hate me. Now you do. Baseball. <laughs> we don't hate you, Steve. Well, I appreciate your moral compass and your stick to it to the uh, to the United States law book. Law book. Say that. <laughs> I told you, law dog. Law, law just don't go around here. I don't take no lip from no bartenders, neither. <laughs> Um, so what? So so outside of the just your personal opinion, where are you at? What do you think happened? I don't know, man. It it wouldn't surprise me. First of all, I'm surprised that there weren't any sort of surveillance cameras down at the kennel. I mean, you have this huge multi million dollar property. You've got multiple credible threats against your son for retribution for this boat case, and and you don't have any sort of surveillance equipment. I mean, one thing I heard that has not been presented as evidence, so it's irrelevant to me, was that uh, Tinsley, who is handling the civil suit against the Murdoughs for the Mallory Beach thing, had installed surveillance equipment at the Moselle property because one of the conditions of Paul's release was that he not drink. So if they could find evidence that he was drinking, it would revoke his bond and he, he wouldn't be allowed to stay out. So... But again, that's unsubstantiated. But if, if they had found cameras... There is, I think in the Netflix, there they show pictures of him drinking after he's on bond. Like they yeah. have fo- people at parties <clears throat> or whatever. Huh. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised it didn't come in. I mean, it could have just been because the state didn't want to bring that in because it would have created more animus from somebody else that Paul was continuing to get away from this. Oh my God, I forgot to tell you, Jim, I was in the grocery store the other day and this woman behind me, I swear to God, this was God sending her to troll me. This was like just a few days after the trial ended and I'm, I'm getting my shit together and I hear this lady like, yep, just finished watching the Murdoch trial. And she, she proceeded to, to spout like two to three minutes of the most nonsense bullshit that I've ever heard. And I swear, this was the universe trying to goat me, goad me into fighting a middle-aged woman in a grocery store. But isn't that your fetish or something? <laughs> like, are you, like, didn't you want to Cap, Spartan kick her? Sparta? Yeah. yeah. If she was, if she was older or younger, yes. <laughs> she wasn't a child, and she wasn't geriatric. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you got lucky. <laughs> God. 
Now this is pod racing. You said you had a, uh, a colloquialism? Me? Yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to go back to the case real quick for one second. <laughs> one more time. Um, I know we've talked about the idea of jury nullification in the past where typically this comes up where, uh, like, let's say not not you, Jim. Well, well, let's say you, Jim, personally. Let's say you found out somebody was, like, molesting one of your kids and you went and killed them. And then you were on trial and the jury was like, well, yeah, I mean, he did the crime, but we're not going to convict him. We don't give a fuck what the law says. So not guilty, right? That's typically jury nullification where they take the charge, ignore the law, and just say whatever they want because it, it doesn't matter. Nobody's going to ask the jury, how did you come to this conclusion, whatever. I think this is an example of the opposite where they took the law and the instructions and were like, no, nope, we're just going to go ahead and convict him. Yeah. That's the last thing I'm going to say. I'm losing my voice. <laughs> <laughs> That's a first. I know. <laughs> He's got to get it all out. <laughs> Boner alert! <laughs> all right. So where'd we land on that colloquialism? Yeah, I've got one more. Um, I've been hearing people use the phrase, uh, if you know, you know. I am so sick of hearing that. And it's not recently. It's like the last maybe six months or a year. But yeah. I'm so sick of it. And it's also being abbreviated I, to like I Y K Y K. Yeah, the I Y. It reminds me of uh, like that. being in elementary school where they're like, "Sorry, it's an inside joke." It's like, okay, well then, f- fuck off. Like, this is this is an A to B. See your way out. Yeah. <laughs> this is a January February conversation. So march your way out. Nice. <laughs> also, also works. Uh. Right. Sorry for talking so much. No, you're good, man. That made for good pod. I, that means I didn't have to talk so much, so that's that's great. Um, do you have any uh, colloquialisms or anything off the dome? Uh, man, I thought I had one. I did not come prepared. No, it's, I the only thing I have is I wanted to share something uh, that I thought was just funny. Sing <laughs> me a song. <laughs> When you like scream the last part, that was fire. Thank you. <laughs> that was fire. I don't even know what that was, but I do hear a dog snoring. I think, and I like that. I do. I my, she's right here. She's what kind of dog? Oh boy. yeah, uh, she's a Catahoula mix. Catahoula. Mm. That's what uh, our our buddy uh, Rich Hank, who's big ass dog. You remember him? Yeah. He was a Catahoula. Oh. And the dog that I had with my ex for like six months was uh, half lab, half Catahoula, and it fucking chewed oh. up like a couch, oh. seven pairs of shoes in like two days. Yeah, that's a cutie. That's a baby. Is that boy or, boy or girl? I can't remember. It's a girl. Yeah. 
Yeah. What's her name? KC. KC. She looks really thrilled that you woke her up. (laughs) (laughs) That's not the grumpiest face I've ever gotten from her. (laughs) For the same thing. Cute. (laughs) Alrighty, fellas. Um, Damn, I didn't know we'd gone this long. Um, Nate Dog, do you want to uh, take us out and tell us, uh, tell people where they can find uh, Ghoulish University? Yeah, you can. Pretty much listen to us on any of your podcast of choice, Ghoulish University. Um, I'm Thon on there. Uh, Professor of Astrology. Astrology. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Uh, I I like doing that just because, you know, talking about old movies that people were in. Yeah, that's that's my favorite segment for sure by far. I actually, when we, we hopped on uh, for the episode that you had to bail on, God damn you. Um, <laughs> like, honestly, when I saw that, I was I was a little bit crushed. But uh, we had, we actually had a really great time with uh, Old Naderade and Logan. I, I can't wait for that episode to come out. I think it's coming out pretty soon. Like, maybe next week it's on your schedule. But uh, I be. actually took over astrology nice. uh, duties. Uh, in your stead, so yeah. I mean, I hope John I, Lovitz, I hope I, John Aston. I hope I live up. To, oh yeah, we went, we went deep. Oh yeah. I even, I even dropped. I don't know if you've listened to it, but I even dropped the uh, the nugget of where John Aston is in the beginning of European Vacation. So nice. Yeah, that was. Yeah, that was a good time. But yeah, Ghoulish Uni, check them out. Any of your favorite podcatchers on the internet? It's a series of tubes. Um, All that good stuff. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate you making the time. Um, yeah, it's always I, fun. Actually, guys. Sweet. Yeah. And I think we're going to have the, uh, I think I have it chalked up for early May. We're going to have uh, Nate Dog back on along with Naderade and Logan. And we're going to discuss, uh, fuck, what is it? Raid 2? Yeah. The Raid 2? The Raid 2. Word. I'm going to watch the first one before, but I've heard they're pretty interchangeable in terms of like you don't need to. No. Yeah, you don't need yeah, to necessarily. Know. I've seen that. Okay. You've seen it? No. <laughs> oh, okay. I think you're. I think you're gonna yes! love it. I think this I got is to gonna see be that your from new the other side. I had to live through years of that. I got to see it happen <laughs> in real time. Yeah, I think it. I think you're gonna love it. I think it's gonna be your new favorite action movie. Sweet. Hell yeah! yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna hype it up too much. Nah, I've I've heard really good things about it for sure. And if anything has an eight range on IMDb, you can you can. Oh yeah. Like. That's those are fucking hard to uh cool. So uh thanks for tuning in, gang. Um you can send us send us hate mail, please. Yeah, please. This might be the yeah. opportunity if if there was any time. <laughs> please do. Uh <laughs> wax at waxingtheporpoise.com uh or either of our socials, Instagram is waxing the porpoise and Twitter is at waxing the porp. Um appreciate the love and the feedback we've gotten. Uh leave us a five star or whatever you think we deserve and a review on Apple podcasts helps us get our name out there a little bit. Um, next week actually is a little bit of a milestone for us is episode 52 next week, which represents our one year anniversary. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't have really any goals going to this. One of them is like after getting to do it for a while, I thought about like, you know, what's it take for syndication for like a TV show? It was like a hundred episodes was like the magic number. So I thought if we could get to like a hundred podcast episodes, that'd be, yeah. be like a cool thing to check off. But I also think like this past year has been a lot of fun and, uh, it's been, uh, it's been a process, but, uh, I, I I'm super stoked to have been doing it 
for this long. So I figured just in case we don't go any farther, we'll cap off a one year anniversary. It'll be kind of a quick hitter, like 20, 30 minutes, kind of just giving shout outs to anyone that listens and, and everyone else in the community, like ghoulish straight chilling, a cut above people that have helped cross promote us on social media and stuff and, and had us on their shows. Uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun being involved with this. Uh, you're not going to kill yourself. Are you? No, no, not at all. No. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> in, in case it doesn't go any further, like, where are you going? Holy well, shit. No, it, it, shit. Shit happens. You in know? case People I don't see do. you guys anymore, I love you, and <laughs> it's not your fault. And see you next week. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Jesus, buddy. All right. I can take the hint. Um, it's been fun for me yeah, too. Sweet, yeah. I, I've compiled. I've got a couple uh, of funny uh, kind of uh, one-liners. Definitely some richisms, dick dogisms, <laughs> in there that are uh, that are real fun. That we'll just kind of speed through. And Love then... that series, by the way. Awesome, huh. thanks, man. Yeah, that's a that's a crowd favorite. I think all all due to to dick dog facing yeah. us with his bearing his soul. So yeah. Those are, those have been a lot of fun. They're they're definitely in my uh, my favorites that we've done. If you uh, if you like his stories, you would like him even more in real life. Yeah, <laughs> as a human, as yeah. a human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyone Good who guy. dresses up like Ned Flanders is okay by me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a Simpsons. A holic dude. I would put him against that dude that, that that's going on straight chilling. The uh, the Simpsons is better than that yeah. guy, that Warren dude. Yeah, I bet he could. I, he could. Uh, he could hold court for sure. But um, yeah, and then we're gonna also release. Uh, we have a bonus episode that we had banked on Basic Instinct, starring Michael Douglas and uh, Sharon, Sharon Stone. S- she was no <laughs> Sharon Stone. Uh, so yeah. That was a fun one too. So, yeah. Um, cool. So, yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, appreciate you. And we'll see you when we see you. And we'll see you later. That's so arrogant. That's screw off. <laughs> <laughs>